0: Pretties to the season of spoop This Halloween season Witches will rise Listen as the boys brew up Another episode of Watch if
1: you dare (laughs) There's some crones in this house There's some crones in this house There's some crones in this house That's right y'all We're gonna have some witch ass pussy this month (laughs) Get ready
2: Oh uh, yeah! Welcome to Watch If You Dare. It's our second annual season of Spoop Tm 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 for uh, <laughs> for October, and yes, like our great introduction done by Heather. Thank you once again for being here, Heather. By the way, we are going to be tackling which specific horror movies, and as you can tell by our title, we have what some consider arguably the quintessential now witch horror movie. Possibly,
1: I mean, regardless of that, it's easily one of the best horror movies in the last decade if not 20 years easily so yeah oh yeah
2: yeah 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 and we'll we'll get more into that because i have a little bit more to say but uh yes if you don't know who we are what are you doing because this is like episode 48 or something um but we are watch if you dare horror movie podcast hosted by myself the coward Derek smith and my co-host the movie monster boy aaron mansfield in which we discuss fears phobias even social commentary related to these horror movies and just how scary they are and if they're accessible for you cowards out there like me and and season of Spoop we started last Halloween and we are going to do it every Halloween and this is our second annual. So with all that said, Heather, welcome back. You haven't been on since I believe our American Werewolf in London episode, right?
0: I was on for Night of the Comet. That's right. That's
2: yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Okay, so this, this is, is your is third one. Okay.
0: Appearance number three. Also, you know, as we get started, I just want to point out that the witch theme for Halloween was my idea. It was, so, absolutely. enjoy, oh, well, uh, enjoy shit. all your witch movies for Halloween
2: Aaron didn't <laughs> tell me that ahead of time Aaron. I so, did tell you that ahead of time I remember you doing stealing
0: it. my thunder no it's okay
2: no but that, that is a good theme actually someone else i was talking to about the show the other day was telling me that if we hadn't done witches werewolves would have been a good theme this halloween because apparently they're going to be two full moons during the yes, month of october i heard that oh really huh yeah but hey you know that works for witches as well like dance under the moonlight yeah. and all that so with all that said heather you've been here before you you know how this goes before we do go into recommendations what about witches do you think works so well with halloween why did you throw that pitch that out Idea specifically to Aaron.
0: Part of why I pitched the theme of witches is because. There are so many different witch movies that are very tonally different, and so you can cover a lot of ground while staying in the same theme, but you're not watching movies that are the same over and over again. You know, we've got comedies, like Hocus Pocus, there are plenty of teen movies or rom-coms like Practical Magic or, you know, The Craft, Um, but you can start to get into things that are really scary, like The Witch Witch. Blair Witch Project you know it's a big enough topic that covers a lot of different styles of movies so you can pick one for every weekend and not without it getting old essentially
2: and it's interesting too because and you you name drop Blair Witch Project but if you look at like the timeline of how horror cinema kind of developed I would argue that Blair Witch Project when it dropped I think what 1999 was that one yeah is one of those pivotal moments in horror modern horror the development of horror into the modern era was Blair Witch Project because I remember that movie was popular but it became a cultural phenomenon and I was old enough at that point to like really realize like how important that movie was. Same with Scream, which was right around that time as well, but uh, I feel like Blair Witch had even more influence over things because uh, it really was like kind of the birth of found footage and where it is now. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's totally. interesting that uh, a movie of that much importance was really centered around a witch and a fucking terrifying idea of a witch of That as well. Cool.
1: Well, uh Um, Great idea for this month entirely. We've got two more fun ones lined up for y'all as well, Um, and they're all going to be very different, as Heather was saying, so we've got three fun picks. There are certainly lots more to choose from this month, so um, you've got a good smattering of things to pick from, but that is going to be the theme for this year's Season of
2: Spoop. Yes, and with that, before we dive into the witch or the vitch or however you want to pronounce it. It's <laughs> the witch. Um, we are going to do our recommendations like usual. Again, this is just other horror recommendations outside of this movie, be them other movies, books, TV, video games, etc. cetera, um, stuff that Aaron and I are going to suggest to each other, and hopefully you can get something out of this, our audience. Heather, since you are the guest, we usually let the guest. go. Go first, do you have any specific kind of horror-related recommendations?
0: Aaron and I did just watch The Invisible Man earlier this week. We didn't nice. get it initially when it was kind of released on VOD, but we did just buy the Blu-ray and had to turn down the lights, darken the house, let's watch the scary movie evening. Really enjoyed it. There's a great performance from uh, Elizabeth Moss in that movie. Really centers around her character and, you know, the psychological trauma that she's going through after being in an abusive relationship and her emotions really run the gamut and it is great to see her portray you know all those complicated feelings. Definitely enjoyed watching it. Didn't quite know where it was going. You know is there really an invisible man? That's a question that is not answered until pretty far into the movie so it does keep you guessing. You know really enjoyed that. Definitely worth checking out I think I like the idea of reinventing or modernizing the Universal Monsters, so I'm excited to see where they go.
2: We talked about in The Invitation specifically that director doing Dracula of this new reboot of the Universal Monsters, and Mm I have heard nothing but good things about The Invisible Man, so I'm glad to hear y'all enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was good.
2: Lee Winnell uses a lot of the same flashy
1: stuff that he did in Upgrade, which I've mentioned on the show, a lot of the same kind of camera tricks and style. Things, but it's a little more toned down and refined. The pacing of that movie is very solid. There's lots of long watching the screen and watching the edges of the screen to see if you see like a curtain move or an object move or something like that.
2: Oh, that's creepy. Like having that stuff in the background of a scene. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, there's lots of little great moments like that. But yeah, the performances were all solid. So yeah, Karn Kasama's doing Dracula for Blumhouse next, but they also announced that Lee L is coming back. To do the Wolfman kind of redo remake whatever with Oh boy Ryan Gosling. Fuck yeah. So
2: it's a weird that's a weird casting, but I mean I I like Ryan Gosling, but not who I would have thought of. Yeah. I mean it might have been too obvious, but I would have gone with like maybe like a Tom Hardy or something. But that's interesting and hey more werewolf movies all for it sure yeah i'm down i do love
0: a good werewolf movie
2: (laughs) yeah as aaron can attest i want more like good werewolf content specifically horror like straight horror just because i think werewolves have been shifted more into fantasy and action more recently in recent years and i would love things to go back to like strictly horror
0: Well, I'm sure Aaron has told you I've absolutely claimed coming on the podcast for a Ginger Snaps episode eventually. Oh yeah,
2: I I do, like Ginger Snaps is definitely um, on our list for that reason. Yeah,
1: if we had done Werewolves for this year, for Season Spoop, that definitely would have been one of them for sure since we've already done American Werewolf. Cool, cool. You got anything else, Heather?
0: Um, no, I think that's the only horror-related thing. It's quarantine, so I've been reading a lot of romance novels. Just because <laughs> they're light and happy and nothing bad happens, that's definitely the mood I need.
2: No CW, Supernatural, uh, anything like that?
0: <laughs> no, mostly mostly uh, romance novels and bad reality TV. Although I guess you could call 90 Day Fiancé would be a horror <laughs> to some
2: people. Yeah, that's some real-life <laughs> trauma there, yeah.
0: Exactly, Yeah, some real-life <laughs> horror
1: yeah definitely cuckoo cool. well we also watched the eighth episode of twin peaks which oh yeah heather a lot of people what? would say that's full of horror stuff heather was just kind of like well that's i've seen it now okay
2: that uh dark art house as you said eraser head bullshit yeah yeah i mean i love that episode but i also love making fun of that episode totally the same and that's kind
1: of what we did afterward too we're just like sometimes obtuse for the sake of being obtuse is like not always revelatory so as much as people do like love that episode and this is what i kept telling heather was to me it's just more fascinating that like that episode exists it happened it got made like it's preposterous
2: and I kind of think I raised this point when we did Twin Peaks with Meryl and really for a lot of Lynch's work and this definitely goes with episode 8 of the Twin Peaks revival it is both a masterpiece and an idiotic mess all at the same time (laughs) and you can love it and hate it or love or hate it and it's totally okay either is justified I can appreciate it from an artistic standpoint and a story even like abstract stories telling standpoint I do think it is a bit of a masterpiece but at the same time if just people who aren't really into that, call it nonsensical trash. I'll, I can nod my head and be like, You're totally right, too. Yeah. <laughs> At the same time. This is the water. This is the well. Suck my ass. Go to hell. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, the God of Light guys were legitimately scary in that, that episode. So there is also a good degree of horror with that episode. Yeah,
1: totally. Okay. Well, I guess I'll go next real quick and I'll throw my two things in. So, one, which it's not exactly specifically horror but it is horror. I watched a fucking kung fu movie Okay, called The Boxer's Omen All which right. <laughs> was kind of bug-fuck nuts and like really gross if I'm being honest. It's like this dude whose brother is killed in the kickboxing ring by like the giant beefy scary dude from Bloodsport. Okay, And in order to get revenge he has to become like a Buddhist monk and defeat evil. So the entire movie is him going through his Buddhist monk training and fighting these evil black magic wizards. And it's just shit like chewing up bat guts and spitting them on crocodile skeletons that an evil sorceress woman grows out of and spiders drinking brain mush and shooting needles into people's eyes, zombified monk mummies talking to people and just wild insane shit there's like literally a scene where like this black wizard jumps out of nowhere with face paint on and there's like a weird dub of the tall man from fucking phantasm just yelling like "boy," and then like the glass shattering and then he spits blood all over these crocodile skulls that start charging at this monk and it's just all these like (laughs) snap snap crocodile skulls what fucking year was this movie this was like 83 84 it was one of the Shaw brothers like last big movies it's a fucking mess and it's bananas but i'm kind of glad i saw it like i said it's gross in the sense that there's lots of dudes chewing up like fake brains and spitting them out onto a plate okay so like
2: physically gross i thought you meant like it's kind of gross culturally yeah. gross too but
1: i mean it's it's a hong kong movie so it's yeah. gonna be like over the top ridiculous but but it's like
2: ridiculous for ridiculous sake
1: yes and there's lots of buddhist black magic stuff from that part of the world that like i didn't know what the fuck i was looking at a lot of the times but it's a visually striking wild weird movie with lots of neon lights and crazy sound effects and bullshit it was bananas but it's literally just the guy who has to become a Buddhist monk to defeat evil wizards and defeat evil and avenge his brother that got killed in like a kickboxing match Da dot dot whatever okay, yeah. <laughs> the other one that I watched uh, is a recent Shudder ad it's uh, Fade to Black with Dennis Christopher this is a movie that I have heard about for a long time but I have never been able to see it like I don't think I've ever seen it on DVD or anything anywhere like I don't know if it has like weird issues that kind of held it up for the longest time. But it's a movie about kind of this loner outsider dude who's obsessed with fucking movies. And he works at a development factory where they like literally just take film reels from the movies and develop them and ship them back out. So he's like constantly absorbed in and living in the world of movies and his aunt is like driven crazy by it. He's kind of sort of obsessed with this Australian model who looks like Marilyn Monroe and he like becomes completely fixated on her to the point that he's kind of stalking her. But it's just him going around and murdering all these people who have like wronged him. But he's dressing up like different movie characters like he dresses up like Bela Lugosi Dracula or I guess Christopher Lee Dracula he dresses up like James Cagney like there's all this kind of stuff I maybe get how that movie was kind of interesting at the time especially in a horror context of horror fans feeling kind of like the loner outsider people and having trouble like making friends and connecting and all that but like at this point horror's very mainstream horror is very
2: like popular yeah it's like trying to write a nerd who yeah. it, it, like now who is like a social outcast when nerddom is more popular than sports at this point yeah, like. like
1: nerds nerds have taken over society like that's it now but kind of in the same way in real life you end up with a lot of these toxic assholes who feel entitled to like what they want and the relationships they want to be in and how they like imagine they want their lives to be and they will do dumb violent shit to get that so like it's a movie that like I get how it will point in time people could kind of identify with it and enjoy it but now it just comes off as kind of obnoxious because the guy is terrible the guy's awful the guy is like the definition of nice guy TM who like murders the fucking hot sorority girl that he's in love with and she could care less about him like it's just that same like gross kind of bullshit
2: I think like a better modernization of it or like if if you did like a sequel and made it modern or a remake or whatever it would be having a group of people who work at that distributing facility decide to do this almost like murder party like where sure, it's just kind yeah, of a group yeah. of dumbasses doing it you can even have some women in that group or like a whole plethora of people and they just decide to be dumbasses and do this thinking it would be a fun prank or something like and it gets out of hand
1: yeah and I mean part of the way that you make that work is like make it about class make it about like this group of people who like work a shitty job or underpaid undervalued can't make ends meet and they resort to crime to do yeah X-Y z like you can make it about something that everybody can relate to across the board
2: don't make it just like a straight up slasher movie make it like a comedic horror movie sure like yeah, make yeah. it kind of comedic and and light in that way yeah so
1: that's the two things that i have for now what have you got bro
2: yeah, so for my recommendation this week, it being Halloween season and all of that, I decided to do something a bit different. I started putting together something special for y'all. Um, Aaron, you actually submitted some ideas to me as well, so I'm fitting those in. At the time of this recording, I'm kind of putting it together but it's pretty much almost done already i am making a fall spooky kind of halloween playlist yeah. that uh you our listeners will be able to also dig into for october like through october it is going to be called the w-i-y-d fall slash spoopy slash halloween bash Again, the name of this playlist is going to be the W I Y D Fall hyphen spoopy hyphen Halloween bash Spotify playlist. You should be able to find it just by searching that name. I also will make it available on our socials on Twitter and Facebook again at Watch If You Dare. So I'll be posting that. Be on the lookout for it. If I link the playlist and try and open it from a link on my phone into the Spotify app, it has been kind of crashing the app, so you may want to search for it. If you're using the Spotify app, just open your app first and then type in that name. Again, W-I-Y-D Fall slash Spoopy slash Halloween Bash. But yeah, uh, this playlist, we wanted it to be kind of anything that encompasses Spooky or the season in general. Some of it is pretty obvious as to why it fits on and others are kind of deeper cuts. And we'll have a couple things that are a lot more popular and other stuff like, you know, I think the Ghostbusters theme is going to be on there by Ray Parker Jr. It's not just
1: going to be Monster Mash and Thriller over and over. Um, yeah. We're
2: probably going to avoid doing stuff like Monster Mash and things like that that you can hear pretty much anywhere else. Also kind of just other random stuff. Not only are we going to have like themes from horror soundtracks uh, here and there, but just kind of e- almost as many genres as we could possibly cover you know it is going to wind up being a little bit maybe metal but we all have we also have some hip-hop and electronica and stuff like that on there too so something that i purposely ordered with this playlist is that i actually have sweat loaf by the butthole surfers (laughs) as the first track going into the second track which is who was in my room last night also by the butthole surfers you know do what would you like with this playlist shuffle it or or whatever you want to do but i think kind of as a personal thing is I like having those two songs be like kind of the introduction into this playlist. It's like a nice evil, like awesome way to get into this playlist. So again Sweatloaf and Who Was In My Room last night is the first two tracks by the Butthole Surfers to kind of kick off the list and then you can shuffle it however you like from there. Some other stuff that's going to be on here is anything from Diggers to Rob Zombie to the Melvins. Okay. Um, we got a little bit of Dr. John, The Cramps, The Whores, yes. Chelsea Wolf, Queens totally of Stone Age, Dr. Octagon, Poe, just random stuff here and there, Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. I'm not going to give away everything just because so y'all can kind of go on there and discover it for yourself and dig into the playlist for yourself. Again, it's going to be made available on Spotify as W-I-Y-D Fall slash Spoopy slash Halloween Bash. So yeah, that's basically like the big thing I wanted to mention. Again, be on the lookout for it on our socials on Twitter and Facebook at Watch If You Dare. And I hope y'all enjoy it. Happy Halloween, y'all. Awesome. Yeah.
1: Well, as the title would suggest, we are going to start off Season Spoop discussing Robert Eggers, Puritan, New England, witchy bullshit, creepy creep from 2015, The Witch. The Witch? What went we out into this wilderness
3: to find? Leaving our country, kindred, our father's houses... For what? For the kingdom of God. Let us pray. i
2: the so this movie was a, a bit more dark than i was expecting it to be i mean i had a feeling it was going to be kind of dark and serious but oh boy it goes even darker and more serious than i thought it would i thought there was going to be a little bit of degree of ridiculousness to it and there no. wasn't <laughs> no not at all no,
1: yes. no punches pulled no. Yeah, yeah. Now, The Lighthouse's most recent movie is just Willem Dafoe getting drunk and farting in black and white in a lighthouse. This movie has no levity except for like the one scene where you see the two twins
2: staring at the goat. No, like the two <laughs> twins tied to the fence and them just being like, <laughs> "Let us go." There was so there was one scene with them like that one's pretty good, but there's also that scene where like the three children get locked up. The next cut is like just the two twins staring at black philip the goat and black philip the goat just sitting there chewing yeah i did laugh at that part because like that was just kind of a, a funny like break in the intensity yeah there is
1: scant humor in this movie but uh it is mostly just dour and fucking terrifying very hypnotic Yeah, full of dread this is something that heather and i talked about lots of people want to call this movie slow burn this movie's an hour and a half yeah and it
2: fucking moves. I don't understand that critique at all. What are you yeah. talking about? This movie... I had... I, I I heard that. I will say. And I've even heard that from people like we're friends with, whose opinions I respect Let's say it's a slow burn movie. They thought it was too boring and all that. So I went in thinking this is gonna be like a two and a half to three hour epic long movie that's a slow burn. Yeah. Or just
1: tedious. Or, or yeah, tedious. Or
2: like the period piece nature of it trying to commit too much to the point where it's just like, I don't even know what they're saying. And it's it's boring to follow them along. I got none of that. Yeah. This was like the perfect pace, the perfect runtime. I didn't feel like it dragged at all. I don't understand that critique. I understand the critique of that more so with The invitation than I do with The Witch. Yeah. And I didn't think The invitation was slow either.
0: Well, back in the before times, Aaron and I <laughs> saw this movie uh, in the theaters when it came out. And when we were watching the movie, at the end, the two of us were just mesmerized. Like, we bought that movie hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, just, just loved sucked it from in the entire the start time. To but literally, as we were leaving the theater, like, as the end credits start rolling, some guy in the theater gets up and is like, well that sucked and you know you could kind of hear that like sigh and groan from other people in the theater so we could even tell then okay this movie is not working for some people we saw it with and I feel like maybe the trailers for the movie sort of set it up to fail in that sense because the trailer is very scary and I think The Witch is a very scary movie but it's not a movie that sort of beats you over the head with it being scary. No. You know it's not like you're looking at something horrific and then there's you know short. Sharp violin. Eek. You know, and the camera's yeah. not panning in and out on the horrific things that are going yeah. on. Yeah, there's you no know, like
1: this is Walter. Ah! Yeah. like zoom in, zoom out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's
0: just not aggressive, and the way it presents itself, it's something that you have to kind of pay more attention to and really kind of sit along and get into that world to really get what it's doing. And so I think you know maybe some people just weren't able to get into that same headspace, or were expecting something different, and were ended up disappointed, but. But, you know, like we said, it's an hour and a half long. This is not a slow movie. Something is happening constantly, you know. We, every
1: scene, yeah. every dialogue exchange, every shot is propelling the story forward. There is not any wasted space in this movie
2: at all, at all. You do have to pay attention, though, too, to because yeah. there's a lot of details that you would otherwise miss if you're not paying attention and granted it's not like maybe giving as much attention to like say the whaling but it's still like the invitation again going like since i drew that compar- comparison earlier um it's kind of like that where you do have to sort of still pay attention to get catch all the small details
1: this is a very visual movie there's lots of little details that you're not necessarily going to notice As you're first watching it, it's stuff that you certainly noticed, you know, upon second viewing. Like, you know, they talk about how their crop is not coming in well but you see the signs of that like from the entire beginning of the movie where like you see these raised beds that they have and everything in those raised beds is like shriveled and dying you know like clearly they are not doing well on the farming side of it there's little details like the silver cup makes an appearance finally in the background where you don't really notice it there's lots of little bits and pieces like that where it's a very visual movie but having to pay attention to the dialogue as well also keeps you in the moment and keeps you zoned in on what's going on and having to pay attention to that dialogue as well keeps you engaged the entire time if you're actually paying attention
2: even a lot of stuff that makes up the relationship between thomas and and caleb as siblings and just that dynamic which i think is a very important part of the movie and kind of the development of where Thomason goes. Yeah. And if you're not paying, and it's not like you have to pay super close attention. Like if you're watching the movie and not talking or looking away, like you're going to catch it, but you still have to pay attention or you're going to miss small details that are important about their relationships specifically, but not just them, but like relationships with all the characters and all the family members. Yeah. I may as well just go ahead and get my newbie spiel out of the way here, but kind of going off what you said, Heather is it's not as aggressive, especially with jump scares and stuff like that. But this movie is still terrifying to me. It has a couple, like maybe even just two or three jump scares, and there is one that legitimately caught me and creeped me the fuck out. But I enjoyed it, which is unusual because again, it was well earned. And I'll bring that back up when we reach it. But I still think this movie is not necessarily the most newbie-friendly horror movie. I think you may want to watch a couple others if things easily scare. You or disturb you, you may want to watch a couple others to kind of thicken your skin a little bit, I'd say, before watching this. But let me also say that in my own head, I put together that like the more recent string of horror being amazing. I always think of like three movies that had caught on around this time in popularity, and it's this, it follows, and the Baba Duke. And we covered it follows. This is our second episode. We haven't covered The Babadook yet, but we will. But we've covered this one. And it's those three movies, like around the 2014, 2015 era, that I felt like really made horror explode, modern horror. And then it was carried on further with Get Out and everything else that has come since. But I almost think of it as like a trinity of those three movies, with this one being one of them. And I think it's well earned. I think this is a fantastic movie. There's little that I disliked about it. And It is one of the scariest movies from an auditory standpoint I have experienced in a long time maybe since Kubrick's The Shining the soundtrack itself scared the shit out of me (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and that never happens like that's that's just something that usually never happens and this one fucking got under my skin and bothered me so again if you're like from a strictly horror standpoint if you're like me and you're easily scared of stuff you may want to thicken your skin a little bit before approaching this one but this is a good fucking movie and you should see it eventually if you want wait or if you think you can take the horror as you're hearing us go through all of this then go fucking watch if you haven't I, i have a feeling most of our listeners have seen this but if you haven't do yourself a favor and watch it
0: one thing i would like to point out before we get into discussion of specifics too is you know if you have some touchy subjects around what horror movies you want to watch if you have any sort of religious trauma or you have issues regarding religion that really scare you or fear of god type things the witch i think can especially be really frightening because I think in a lot of ways this movie is about religious trauma and it's an exploration of the effects that religious trauma can have on somebody and so if that's a big trigger for you again this one might be something that you want to read a little bit more about before you watch it or make sure you're in the right mental space to watch this movie.
2: A ton of familial horror as well and horror of adulthood and parenting from both ends like the loss of a child as well as your parents being controlling and like being super religious and like punishing you because they think the devil is in you that goes hand in hand with what you said uh heather this isn't my own interpretation it's not an original one but it's one that i thought while watching the movie and also one that i read about from people analyzing it is that it is both going through the horrors of a repressive and patriarchal type of society like specifically Puritan society and the liberation of witches specifically from a murderous harmful standpoint but a nice interpretation I did read that I, I do kind of agree with is that as it's religious extremism on both ends that the majority of the movie or the movie starts and the majority of the movie goes through the puritanical patriarchal super restrictive religious society but then the, by the end of the movie you see the violent and wild nature of like the satanic or earthly or like nature magic and like how that also can be perverse and evil and how like you're not necessarily finding freedom from one religion if you go into the other and vice versa. Whereas the puritanical one is more obviously the one that's holding you down and repression and all of that. The one you escape to is that you say is quote unquote freedom is also just as restrictive just in very different ways that come across as like oh but I'm wild and free but like you're just kind of being a hypocrite I liked that this movie didn't necessarily celebrate how it ends and how the main character gets there because there's still a lot of violence and brutality getting to that point even if it is something she deserves like to escape all of this but the way we get there and where the end isn't necessarily the best way to do it if that makes any sense
0: yeah do we want to get into spoilers at this point or
2: yeah no I mean
1: we can go ahead and start talking about spoiler stuff if we want um let
0: me yeah let me respond to to what what Derek is saying because I hear that interpretation and I agree with it to some extent because obviously you know I think most of us here you know maybe we have a few outliers but I think most people would agree making a paste out of a
2: baby that you stole (laughs) is probably not a good thing to do yeah Um, yeah so
0: typically you know maybe that's that's not a great thing which
2: fully fucked the movie basically starts with this and like I was like oh my god. It doesn't pull any punches. It doesn't outright show the baby murder but like it's very much implied. I mean you don't see her literally eviscerate a baby.
0: But you watch that baby grown up But you
1: see the the baby guacamole it becomes. (laughs) Yeah let's just put it that (laughs) way. The movie also doesn't try to play it both ways with is there a witch? Is there not a witch? No this movie fucking right from the beginning shows you like nah there's a witch in the woods. She like turned a baby into paste to grease her broom sticking right off into the night that's a thing that's happening in this movie
0: that said so I agree that that is not necessarily good but at the same time I think part of why I respond so well to this movie is it also it reminds me of one of my other favorite horror movies which is Carrie um, Brian de Palma Bill. yeah that's a good one both yeah. of these movies feature these teenage girl characters who have been unfairly maligned called a monster called all these things that they aren't and then in the end instead of above essentially both of them become the monsters that they have been accused of being right and then they just use that to like raise hell on everybody who persecuted against them or everybody who called them all these terrible things they became that and i think that is a something that a lot of people can relate to you know if you're a woman who has been called a bitch or if you are you know a queer person like me who has been called like the f-slur or different things like that you know there's a lot of power in reclaiming those terms and you know what people used to hurt you wearing it as armor taking it upon yourself and like using that as a place of strength and so I can understand how you can watch this movie and not react positively to the ending because I mean this wish in this movie is bad but at the same time I really love that idea of just putting that huge middle finger to everybody who tried to blame you for being a certain way yeah, or to detract against you for being a certain way and just be like you know what I wasn't that but guess what I'm going to be now enjoy it I'm going to drag my whole house down to hell Yeah, I'm going to become a witch
2: and that's like kind of the whole thing for me is like while I interpreted it that way is kind of like what a lot of other people I've read online with their analysis have done. I didn't necessarily think it was a bad thing either. Mm-hmm. I did see an interesting take that I didn't quite feel as I was watching and Heather actually specifically you, I'd like to get your opinion on this. Another thing that people were saying is like this shows that both these two options are basically fucked and like damned if you do, damned if you don't options because while all the puritanical stuff is extremely obvious as to why that's all fucked up throughout the entire film. They made the argument, but it's equally fucked up on the other end, that Satan's temptation of Thomason throughout the movie is almost grooming in a way, is what some people were suggesting, as to like how that way was also not necessarily the best way. But again, I didn't personally feel it that way, and I didn't even think about that until I read yeah, that interpretation.
1: I don't agree with that either, because there is no grooming happening. There's never like a temptation of her. There's never this slow, steady build-up up necessarily like it is definitely more a like well okay my super religious family literally self-destructed because they chose to like give in to fear and paranoia and demonize me who have done literally nothing when there's an actual witch out there doing all of
3: it right sure
1: but then it kind of becomes like a well fuck it like what does this have to offer what is in there for me you know there's there's not any steady slow grooming that happens it's finally just Just to like, okay, you told me this thing was bad, bad, bad. Well, like, y'all fucking self-destructed. Y'all, like, tore yourselves apart. You went crazy, you know, all over your religious fervor. And I did nothing wrong, you know? So, like, what does this have to offer, possibly? Oh, freedom and identity and community and all these other things that I've been craving that I haven't had this entire time. Like, there's no, I don't think that there is any temptation or grooming in this movie at all. Because there's, it doesn't happen. Like, we don't see that textually at all in the course of the movie. Well,
0: too, in in the realm of this movie, their little homestead farm seems to be roughly, you know, a day's ride or so away from the main village. And you get the impression from Will talking about taking Kayla back to the doctors or them talking about going back to the town. You get the impression that they know where it is and how to get there. So if you think about the ending, you know, you could think, okay, Thomason has the choice, if she wants to, to go back to the village and try to reenact. Right. Into society, but she doesn't do it, and so I also wouldn't necessarily think it's a grooming type of situation. I would think it's more of a choice. I mean, at the same, she's very young, but I think she makes that choice to seek out Black Phillip and try to talk to him because if you look at the story from Thomason's perspective, what good did being the good little Christian Puritan girl ever get her? She was doing everything she was supposed to do. She knew her prayers. She was trying to form good relationship with her parents, and it got her nowhere. Yeah. yeah. So at no point in this movie does she ever do anything
1: bad she doesn't disobey her parents she doesn't lie which everybody else in this fucking story does you know she doesn't harm anybody like she doesn't do anything bad you know i guess we're jumping ahead here but the most heartbreaking fucking thing in this movie is when her mother who has like become so paranoid of her and so completely convinced that she is the cause of all this evil despite there being no evidence of it is literally strangling her own fucking daughter out of just wrath and anger and hatred and paranoia and fear and the daughter still all she can say is like i love you mom please stop yeah you know
2: like done Fucking period. heartbreaking uh, dark scene.
0: That scene is so sad. It's just so hard to watch.
2: Kind of going back to like what you were saying about she had the choice, really, probably to go back to that village. Another kind of symbolic thing that people are saying is on display in this movie too is even just the idea of civilization versus nature. Yeah, kind of uh, the idea of the wild magic of the woods versus the puritanical religious nature of basically colonizers um in the New England area. Kind of to play devil's advocate, lol. Devils advocate. For one sec, I would argue though that there was still some influence and suggestions pushing the family into imploding on itself the problems were there like and i would say like you were saying this is really mostly the family like having fucked up beliefs and being liars and everything but i do think they were nudged by a dark force or whatever or satan or whatever you want to call it i
0: mean the witch is real
2: yeah Yeah. because the witch was real the rabbit which is basically a familiar that fucking wide-eyed creepy looking rabbit yeah causes some bullshit to happen yeah the witch straight up kidnaps the baby at the very beginning
0: i absolutely believe the crops were cursed by the witch yeah yeah I don't think that was an accident.
2: Black Phillip, who, spoil spoiler alert, who is Satan, Lucifer, whether he's whispering to the twins and talking to them, as well as he basically gores the dad to death at the very end, he has some influence on what's going on here. Um, I mean, the curse with the goat milking blood, and it happens to milk blood when Thomason is milking it, and the twins catch that. I do think there was some outside influence basically feeding off their sins and bringing them to the surface, and then just letting the family destroy itself from there. But to go back to what y'all were saying, specifically you, Aaron, where I do agree with you, a family that truly was in a good place and truly loved and respected each other would have been able to get through this and kind of fight off the evil quote-unquote influence, I think. But the fact that they weren't able to and became paranoid messes and their own religion kind of turned against them and they became just controlling, murderous, liars. Everyone knows they're doing the wrong thing but still is doing it anyway but then, like, thinks that confess it uh, at the end or confessing it when no one's watching will save them like that's all fucked up And so obviously, like, evil knew it could win the day if you wanted to go that route. Yeah. But yeah, no, I agree with y'all. I agree with y'all otherwise both. I think Thomason's choice was very well earned. I understood why she made the choice she makes at the very end. That's, I mean, I don't know what else to say about that. Do y'all have anything else to add about what I was saying?
0: Well, I think part of why this family is sort of set up to fail, if you watch this movie, really taking into consideration what the family believes and taking that Fact, what the family believes, and then trying to see the movie from their perspective you know, it's really, I think it's more powerful and you get a lot out of it. And so you have to think about in their Puritan worldview, these characters absolutely believe in this vengeful God that is watching their every move and will not hesitate to damn them if that God sees fit. And so these characters are already very burdened by self-loathing and self-hatred, essentially, you know, yeah, you see when Caleb and the dad are, are walking in the woods, father literally tells Caleb you know I can't tell you who is good and who is evil. Literally everybody is suspect. You know the kids are taught you're born in sin. You have a corrupt nature. You deserve everything bad that happens to you because God ordained it.
2: Well, in response to that, like every small sin that's totally normal, like a white lie turns into like, this is what's going to damn me to hell for eternity is this white lie. Exactly.
0: And, you know, you have that constant surveillance too. They also believe that God sees everything they are doing. And I think part of why I relate to this movie so much and I find it so powerful is because I grew up with similar fears and similar stresses as the characters in this movie felt. I grew up, you know, in a Southern Baptist church. I've had an anxiety disorder all my life and so you know I can remember as a child you know a very young child being very anxious and fearful about God seeing me sin and thinking God was going to do something bad and punish me specifically this little child because of something that I had done and I think that's a really unhealthy place to be in mentally you know thinking something is watching you all the time from the sky and just squash you like an ant at any at any time and so I really relate to this religious trauma aspect of the movie just feeling that constant anxiety and that constant fear how that can distort the way you relate to other people and relate to the people around you who that you love
2: yeah it's a very old testament way of looking at god kind of going all into that like like every little sin just leading to like all this shame and guilt and fear of damnation and instead of it helping things it makes things a hundred times worse um just the idea even of caleb and thomason both reaching puberty basically uh being teenagers and thomason who probably didn't interact with many other girls like throughout his life besides his own family and now they're out in the middle of the woods it's just them and like there are those moments where he starts looking at thomason's chest and like he immediately feels guilty about it but it's this weird perversion of like what otherwise is normal like behavior of going through puberty but because it's only thomason there and they're out in the middle of the woods it's his own sister and that leads more to like what's crazy that happens later on in this movie and then just the idea of sin and guilt of sin coming into it because caleb is very god-fearing like his dad pretends to be this whole thing and I think what why the witch and Satan and these dark forces are able to feed off them so well and ma- manipulate them not doing all this is that the entire thing is based off of a sin of the father yeah. because the movie begins with him being banished from this Puritan I believe it's Plymouth colony right? If I remember correctly that's what it's kind of modeled after you. Know? Yeah. They get banished and you think it's just over a religious dispute because like the religious leaders there are hypocrites which they probably <laughs> are but you know that's beside the point and William the father is the one that's right and they get banished for this but then you find out by the end of the movie no he just like doesn't agree with them it's just a weird dispute and he's too prideful to like agree with them so he decided to like say fuck you and move his family out there but he lied to his family about that the entire time so the whole thing is based off of a lie and a sin yeah
1: well even on like a more simplified level too I mean basically every seven deadly sin is Represented by the characters at some point or another in this. I mean, I think uh, I was about to say Lysa Aaron, not Lysa Aaron, <laughs> the wife, Catherine, the mother. She is very envious, she is very wrathful as well the two twins definitely lie their asses off the entire fucking movie uh, william is very prideful as well
2: i would say the twins are gluttonous and and sloth maybe even <laughs> a
1: little bit yeah they could be sloth also applies to william as well i mean we i have a few things to think about that a little bit later you know you could even say that the witch specifically is gluttony you know just consuming 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 you know so i mean even on like a base level you're seeing a lot of those basic things represented in this family that there's not caleb is definitely
2: lust right
1: (laughs) yeah definitely uh there's not this like idealistic holier than thou family that's actually like making it work yeah you know like they they are certainly struggling in more than just getting their fucking crops to grow
2: Hey, no it's awesome is that uh for the most part we all agree with each other but we all three of us have come at had very different viewpoints um, and very different uh, analysis which to me is a testament of a good movie
1: yeah when you can go into a movie that isn't directly hitting you over the head with what it wants to say it's just kind of this expression of a thing and you can come out with five different opinions amongst a group like that's always interesting because there's at least something to talk about and to analyze and just some personal connection that you can make with the movie um that you can kind of take with you home you know so like that's definitely something that i'm i'm always drawn to is when a movie kind of leaves things up to audience interpretation a little bit not just from a hazy vague plot what did you think this means kind of standpoint like there's there's a lot to chew on here certainly
2: yeah so this was directed by robert eggers right yes who directed the lighthouse and i think he has another project coming up yeah so this was his debut film talk about a fucking debut film by the way yeah, yeah, yeah okay. really
1: he is a new hampshire native um with a background in production design, costuming, and set decoration, which all of that absolutely shows. In this movie, like I mentioned earlier, he did The Lighthouse, which just recently came out. He has been rumored for a long time to do a remake of Nosferatu. Holy And I
2: think fuck, maybe really?
1: he is kind of straying away from that a little bit here and there. I've heard some recent interviews and read some things with him recently where he was like, you know, let me stick to doing my own original stuff. I don't know that I can really do much to bring that original movie any further than it already has come. His upcoming movie is like a giant Viking saga epic pagan kind of thing.
2: I think it's called The Northman. I
1: think that's a tentative title. Yeah, yeah, and
2: it's like a historical revenge movie.
1: Yeah. But yeah, this was a uh, US-Canada co-production that was picked up by A24 after premiering at Sundance. Uh, $4 million budget, and it ended up grossing about $41 million at the box office, so this was definitely a solid hit. It was filmed in Northern Ontario and Massachusetts. It just overall, like, the technical stuff in this movie is fantastic. The score which you've already mentioned by Mark Corvin who did Cube and he also did The Lighthouse as well. It reminds me a lot of Carlos and Elkin's score for The Shining. Dude, it really does. You mentioned that earlier, but it really, really does with the strings and like the group chanting and that kind of stuff. Like it really reminds me of The well, Shining. And- it
2: sounds like a choir straight from hell. Yeah. The choir of women just singing this discordian notes piled, on, layered on top of each other to where it's almost overwhelming you at points. Yeah.
1: was so... So fucking freaky to me. If we're going to compare it to something, to me, like the immediate movie I will compare it to is The Shining. It has this very hypnotic quality to it. There's like a weird etherealness to the performances. Every line of dialogue you can kind of hang on and chew on and just watch over and over and over the performances are great the mania is great all the production design and just all the little details are fantastic but there is just this hypnotic quality to it that both of y'all were saying like okay well this is how like I would say watch the movie this was to me get a little buzz make you a drink and get comfy and just fucking tunnel vision in and just get sucked into this movie in a very like hypnotic kind of way until the credits roll like I, I love this movie for that aspect
2: There's a couple scenes specifically kind of in the beginning when you first get the witch and then at the end where it almost becomes like kind of a, not an art house, but sort of like a more surreal horror briefly. That's also when the soundtrack really explodes in those scenes. Yeah, Especially in the beginning when the witch takes off on what is basically a broomstick, but a stick flying into like the moon. That whole scene is so haunting and so surreal at the same time.
1: Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the scene from 2001 where the monolith shows up for the first time and you know everybody's kind of entranced by it this was cinematographer jaron Blashkey's first kind of big break which led to numerous accolades working on the lighthouse after this so he is a cinematographer that i'm very interested in and definitely curious to follow going forward
2: and he's apparently going to do the northmen as well
1: yeah yeah I, th- I think he and egger's worked really well together and i think they're probably going to stick together for a while from the way it seems. And overall, like, I've listened to some interviews with Eggers... Matter of fact, I I watched the movie twice yesterday. I watched it once for myself to take some notes, but then when we kind of decided to rework the schedule a little bit and have Heather on for this one, we watched it again. And I had one of my you know earbuds in and listening to the commentary. And the commentary is interesting if you're a film nerd like me and you like a lot of the technical stuff and you like kind of knowing like, oh yeah, this is how we did this and blah blah blah.
2: So he doesn't pull a Lynch and is like, this is a Good coffee. It eh? one time went to Montana and stuff. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> it's it's not a complete non-commentary on the movie, but it's also not navel gazy and like discussing the themes necessarily. He's just very technical and he's very technically driven, and that's something that some people wanted to drag this movie on when it came out. That like, yeah, he paid attention to all these little details and painstakingly recreated all this stuff and blah 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 but oh the movie's slow and boring whatever and I kind of like the idea of his approach which was yeah we wanted to make sure that everything was as period accurate as we possibly could because I don't want to fucking have to like literally come up with everything from scratch if we have a record of how everything was at that time just fucking recreate it and be done with it and you're not having to literally like design costumes from scratch and design this house from scratch and have to figure out how to do all these things like no we have historical documents and diaries and stuff that shows us how to do it. Just do it again. Just make it again. And we can actually focus on other things like the performances and the music and the dialogue and like all these other things that we need to put our attention on. Why waste the time and the creative effort to just recreate something that like we already have? And I kind of like that approach. And that makes sense to me from a practical standpoint, especially if you're, you know, making a movie like this with a fairly low budget and very little time. They
2: shot this whole movie in like 25 days. shit really yeah i thought it was at least like two months yeah
1: not 25 days of actual production and there's lots of little technical things here and there that are very seamless in the movie that i think they did a great job with but you know overall i think it's all stuff that serves the story first and foremost this movie is very spartan and austere in the way that it's put together, but not to the degree where you feel like you're just watching a community theater production where they clearly had $300 prop budget. But at the same time, it's not overly worked and lavish like a lot of other movies can be. Did they build the sets? Yes. So the exteriors of the house and the like floor level that was all built on site in Ontario. The garret, which is like the upstairs attic second floor. That's one of the things he mentioned was yeah that's not like period accurate whatever they wouldn't have that but that's in like an abandoned sawmill where they wanted an isolated set that they could actually work inside of a little bit easier instead of having to like cram a camera and sound crew up into the attic of this little janky house that they built you know so there's a lot of technical things that make sense from a practical standpoint. It was also interesting doing a little bit of refreshing my high school history memory on the difference between the Puritans and the Separatists and how puritans were the ones that were cool with the church of england but wanted to like go even further and even stricter and purify it and the separatists were the ones that were just like yeah.
2: fuck all this like y'all are all doing it well, wrong." well they, right. they raised a droid army and they also uh caused oh, god damn it
1: <laughs> yeah they're led by a coughing robot yeah but you know overall i think this movie is a pretty stunning technical achievement for the budget that they had and the time that they had and i really really hope he continues to work at this this level even though his budgets are going to be getting bigger and bigger you know you do fall into that trap eventually that a lot of filmmakers do where okay i had to make a lot of really creative decisions that led to this wonderful movie but it was creative decisions that were born out of limitations but then you get to the point where like oh i have 50 million dollars to make this movie now cool and you
2: get lazy yeah we we talked about this i think a little bit in our psycho episode yeah with jim and eric yeah yeah
1: And the fact that Hitchcock literally was like, fuck it, let me go back to basics and do a really cheap, really quick, fast and dirty movie. And it's like easily one of his (laughs) best, right?
2: (laughs) One of the best horror movies of all time. And
1: he did it as a challenge, you know? So the fact that like, to me, from everything that I've seen of Robert Eggers so far, it seems like he is pushing himself on a technical level with each movie. And he's trying to do new things and
2: he's trying to push his skills further. So I appreciate that. To go from The Witch to The Lighthouse, yeah, I would agree with you hundred percent. Because while well, The Witch might not have maybe in in big theaters, because I do remember getting at least a theatrical release around. It New got or- a theatrical.
1: We went and saw it at yeah. our big theater in town when it came out. Yeah.
2: yeah, like it was around in the town I was living in, and I know in New Orleans too. People like to shit on A twenty four for being like the art
1: house company or whatever, but fuck it, they at least get their movies in theaters. Yeah, I'll say that much. I've been able to see a lot of A twenty four stuff in theaters, and I wouldn't otherwise with a lot of. Of other studios it might
2: not have reached like it remake financial success it made 10 times its budget it did well yeah and and as soon as this movie like hit streaming especially like everyone is just like this is a modern horror classic right here yeah so like you are an, a director with a name now to go from that to the lighthouse which is experimental as fuck is pretty impressive and still be able to like do all that because i think the lighthouse only had a budget of four million as well if i'm correct right yeah it, it was also
1: fairly low
2: and i'm guessing most of that money went to hiring defoe and and pattison being the megastars they are yeah yeah there's a good chance of that
1: all right, so let's do kind of run through the plot and we can discuss things as we go. Unfortunately, so, no fish titties in the witch. <laughs> no fish titties to get witch back titties. to our side tangent. There are witch titties, yes. Ay. Okay, cool. So, mid-1600s.
0: Which is part of the problem that there are no fish titties in this movie, by the way. They live in the damn woods. you think if old Mr. William, Puritan man, is like, oh, my family, we're starving. He could go fucking fish in the river and feed his family some fish titties well he can't do anything
1: he can't
0: (laughs) chop wood he He can't
1: chop wood yeah he can't hunt he can't farm he can chop wood that's about it (laughs) which we will get back to certainly so yeah man named william and his family are banished from their new england puritan settlement over an unknown religious dispute but yeah it's 1630s new england right yeah like somewhere kind of in that range it's definitely pre-salem witch trial hey
2: y'all Growing up in the 1630s, especially as a settler in America, would have fucking sucked. Yeah. yeah. Would have fucking sucked. Nothing about this looked fun. Nope. Nothing about this looked good. Nothing about this looked like something I would ever want to experience. Nope. You're just going to
1: spend your whole life wearing stinky, sweaty wool clothes and covering yourself with scented powders to cover up your fucking stank. And you're just shitting water constantly and throwing up from all your t- terrible food. And
2: thinking God is gonna strike me down because of my boner. And you're living in dirt constantly. Yeah, it sounds awful. Truly
0: one of the most depressing things in the movie is when Catherine tells Thomason, go wash your father's woolens. And so she takes his woolens and like is just splashing mud water and like rubbing yeah. mud into those pants when she's supposed to be cleaning them. And it's just like, oh baby that's not helping. Yeah. <laughs> and again <laughs> sad.
2: on top of that being in a Puritan society or being raised in that society, like every small yeah. misstep, you think you're about to be struck down to eternal damnation. Like, yeah, if I'm not thankful for this corn mush that I'm eating, <laughs> yeah. that's gonna give me hallucinogenic
1: diarrhea later. Yeah. <laughs> then God is gonna strike this, me down for arrogance. And we're
2: poking a lot of fun because there's not a lot of humor in this fucking movie at all, but... No. no. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, God's gonna rip my dick off if I have a boner, like that's yeah. kind of <laughs> what you're working with.
1: But anyway, yeah, they get into some kind of religious dispute with the community that they're in. Who knows what it's for, but it seems to be that the, William has his own ideas about how this community is not religious enough. So, yeah, there you go.
2: Like, it starts with him telling like, a council, go fuck your i'm more religious Basically. than you are yeah i don't have to listen to false christians yeah william is almost treating himself like a messiah or not a messiah more of a prophet yeah he's got that complex yeah like and it's just like you can already tell like what's really going on here yeah
1: even from the beginning of america we've done nothing but create bootstrapped, self-important motherfuckers who think they're the next coming so anyway yeah they travel far outside the reach of the settlement and into the american wild to establish their new home just
2: one real quick thing I don't know if y'all caught this but this goes back to like paying attention to like smaller details in this movie that scene where they like are banished and they like leave that council Thomason kind of stays behind for a second and is just staring at the leaders of the settlement and you can tell there's some malice even or just disappointment or fear but she has like these negative feelings towards them before like William yeah. is like come on daughter we were leaving yeah so you're already seeing like Thomason has an idea of the hypocrisy that's on display already yeah to run through the cast real quick this is
1: a very small tight little movie which works greatly in its favor. The parents are played by Ralph Einsen and Kate Dickey. Einsen has 130 credits yeah. under his belt as of, like, 93. He's a that-guy actor. Like, I have definitely yeah, seen totally. him in a lot of stuff. He's been in tons of Brit Canadian, Irish TV, including The Office, Sherlock, The IT Crowd, Chernobyl. Um, he's been in movies like First Night, From Hell, the later Harry Potter movies, Robin Hood, Guardians of the Galaxy, Kingsman, Ready Player One, and The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Kate dicky also has 96 credits to her name since 94 so they are both really working actors tons of tv outcast prometheus filth and prevenge as well i
2: think the big thing that a lot of people are going to recognize her from is game of thrones because she was breastfeeding uh what's his face like when he was nine crazy crazy Lysa aaron
1: yeah which both of them were in game of thrones because einstein plays dagmer Clefjaw, one of the squid viking people can't think of their names right now both of them are also in very tiny like blink and you'll kinda miss it roles in The Last Jedi as well. Anya Taylor Joy is the daughter, Thomason. Um she was in Morgan Split Thoroughbreds, which is very good but dark. Maribone Glass and the New Mutants movie, which looks like a trash fire. Wop wop wop. <laughs> yeah, but she's playing one of my favorite X-Men characters, so um Still curious to see what she does with that. And all three of them were in the show Peaky Blinders. So that show seems to be kind of the catch-all for, like, any and every UK non-American English actors at this point to be in. And then the other three children, you have Harvey Scrimshaw playing Caleb, who is kind of the eldest son of the family. Ellie Granger and Lucas Dawson play the two twins, which are some troublemaking little assholes. Oh, they
2: are assholes through this and this. They are fucking so good movie. in
1: this fucking movie, but they are just terrible little children. Um, I read a funny bit where they were talking about how Lucas that plays Jonas would just like fucking lie constantly. Like, he was apparently like an ill-behaved little child. And there were times where we're like, do you have a piece of candy in your mouth? No. Do you have a piece of candy in your mouth? No. Zoom in camera. And he's like chewing on candy. God damn it, kid. He starts seeing over. Are you chewing on candy? No, that kind of thing. And apparently, like, Robert Eggers had to, like, walk over to him after the fifth take and, like, put his fingers in this kid's mouth and rip out a piece <laughs> of candy.
2: <laughs> Basically, the actor and the part are, yeah, totally together here.
1: But, like, this family unit works together so well. And these kids are all fantastic having to do this very technical Elizabethan dialogue that really rolls naturally from all of them. Like, it ...doesn't feel like stilted kid performances whatsoever. And I think part of that is due to the fact that... Dickie and Einson, like really worked with the th- kids you know, during the production. They had a week to rehearse and kind of all gel together as a family. And Einstein specifically does, like, Shakespeare for kids. So he worked with them a lot around the dialogue and the delivery and that kind of thing. So it's a pretty remarkable ensemble cast. And the performances, again, like we keep saying it, but the performances in the movie are fan-fucking-tastic. It's worth watching, like, just for that standpoint alone, like, regardless of the larger subtext and everything else of the movie. So, okay, They arrive where they are going to build their new homestead out in the wilderness. And sometime later, we cut forward and the family has built their little farm with their house and the wife
2: Catherine has given birth to a new child and can't stress enough how much this all looks like it would suck again
1: yeah <laughs> if you enjoy mud and bugs and eating corn mush here you go the eldest child again Thomason the daughter um, she is babysitting the newborn near the edge of the woods playing peekaboo and then suddenly boof the child is snatched from under her
2: nose and I love the way that's shot because yeah you keep seeing the camera go back and forth from her face to the child's and then it goes back to her face she covers her her eyes and does the peekaboo and looks down in horror and the child's just gone just not there like it just vanished in thin air i remember seeing this
1: trailer in theaters for a little while before it came out and that was kind of the like moment in that trailer where everybody in the audience shut up and everybody was really quiet we're like oh shit the baby's disappeared what happened you know so that that was very much a shocking moment and even in the trailer no
2: boy does this movie waste no time to let you know the fate of the baby yeah a cloaked
1: figure has snatched the baby And we see this cloaked figure running through the forest with the child. And then we cut to a dank hovel in the dark as this figure kills this baby again we don't see the baby get killed but we definitely see like knife go up to baby and then you see this old naked woman grinding this baby up in a mortar and pestle like fucking guacamole and wiping it all over herself and all over her old crooked stick and flying off into the night just no fucking around there you go have fun
2: again this is the scene one of two specifically where the soundtrack terrifies me yeah because you get all that discordant women's voices choir from hell raising and it's layered on top of each other and sounds almost a little distorted and it's like kind of surreal but it's all horrific because like the dead baby yeah. and then like it ends with her in slow motion her riding the stick into the into the light of the moon and yeah people who say this movie uh is slow uh what are you talking about because like right off the bat that's what happens yeah not even 15 20 minutes then. a little bit of fun
1: witch research here so broomsticks specifically like part of the reason that's always been associated with witches and flying on broomsticks that and flying ointment um, which is what she turns the baby into those are both long been associated with witches ergot fungus from rye was kind of discovered to have these hallucinogenic properties when taken in small amounts. Normally it would just make you like puke, diarrhea, get sick, and you would trip balls, but you would still have to like puke, get sick, diarrhea, right? They kind of figured out, okay, you take it in small doses and it's basically LSD. You know, anytime that you hear about dancing fever and all that kind of stuff from the Middle Ages, I mean, a lot of it is just, oh, our rye went bad, grew ergot, and everybody ate bad balls. bread and went crazy trip <laughs> balls, right? But when mixed with other herbs like nightshade and henbane and jimson weed and all this other stuff and brewed into a salve, that mixture could be absorbed through the skin. And the most effective areas of the body to use this on are your sweat gland areas like your armpits and your groin. So... So the most effective way to uh, deliver said balm is to uh, grease up something that you have in your house like a broom and hop on and ride until you fly. Let's just put it <laughs> that way basically so.
2: Put on some fucking stoner metal. Yep. Some electric wizard run around your house yep. naked just baked mm-hmm. in the cell. You don't need yep. to kill an infant. Don't kill an infant to do this. Yeah. <laughs>
1: just rub your cooch on a broom greased up with this
2: poison Goop and uh, just lose your mind. That's kind of one of those things that, like, I do sort of like the commercialization and PGification, like Halloween decorations and costumes of a witch riding a broomstick. That still applies because, like, yeah, it's a very, very dark and kind of messed up origin for that. But I yeah. like how that still didn't get lost in translation with the censorship of it being more mainstream Halloween imagery.
1: Well, just also having a very strong sexual feminine kind of connection and this very pagan like marriage of both male and female power like I mean brooms have been definitely a thing in pagan culture for a long time as well and brooms are like commonly used in weddings as well because it's kind of this combination of the phallic male penis broom handle and the like scraggly vaginal bush hair so it's like here you go there's these two things put together and it's just part of witch lore you know for these reasons.
2: I tend to find that magic, historical-wise, is uh, linked to sex quite a lot. And, uh, oh, yeah, totally. yeah so. totally.
1: Funny enough, we were watching Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which has nothing to do with horror or witchcraft or anything else, but there is definitely a moment with Flying Ointment in that movie where one of them like gets it from this other group of women who are you know, probably doing a little bit of white magic, hedge magic, proletariat magic. Just your regular, everyday, like, yeah, here's a bundle of herbs that we use. Used to like force an abortion or whatever, like stuff like that, you know, and they go back and rub it on their armpits and trip balls and we were both just like, what is this? <laughs> like, what are they doing? And sure enough, I googled like, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, a are armpit grease like <laughs> armpit stuff what is
2: armpit your second thing was a, a porn hub uh, suggestion <laughs>
1: probably so yeah so fun fun witch stuff there you well, go and
2: I, I like that like this being such a period piece too on top of a horror movie it shows the wild origin nature of this of taking a stick that you found in the forest and writing it and applying all this ointment and all this dark wild nature specific magic whereas like you have the reverence on display at least openly with the Puritan family and then whenever the witch is involved it's a very like wild type of magic not necessarily even dark just wild But given the nature of, like, the murder of an infant, I would say it's pretty dark in this instance. Yeah. And on that note, in the week after the disappearance of the baby,
1: Catherine kind of remains in a state of deep depression and prayer after the baby's disappearance. And early one morning, Caleb wakes up, finds his father kind of worrying over the failing crops and William tells Caleb that they can't waste any more time searching for the baby and that they must journey into the woods where he'd set traps for food they are
2: basically running out of food now that their crops are failing and they've got to do something with Heather this was something I wanted to ask you specifically given your background the scenes where Catherine is falling into this deep depression and it is it's depression but being that they're Puritan family from the 1630s she's quote unquote coping with it in this very like religious zealot way was this relatable to the fears that like might have hovered over you when you were growing up in Southern baptism?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. One of the biggest pieces I think of like religious trauma I have from that upbringing is, you know, I've talked about I've had an anxiety disorder since I was a child, and I've always had, you know, anxieties and depression. But when I was growing up in the church, what I was taught was, well, you just need to turn to God about that. You just need to pray about it. You know, sometimes God is being distant. What have you done in your life that might make God distant from you? Yeah. And so you just look this at it. This is your it.
2: fault somehow. What exactly. did you do? Exactly. Yeah. Figure it out. Yeah. Yeah.
0: As a personal failure.
2: Even in my like New Orleans kind of laissez faire Catholicism, there was a degree of that as well for me. So I, I, yeah. I, I get that.
0: And so what I actually needed was therapy and professional help, but it was just pray about it and figure out what you've done wrong, which it just continues to set you up to fail. You're not actually ever getting help. And so that's part of what is so tragic. Like, this awful thing has happened to this family she's lost her baby and the pain that comes from that just has to be so immense and she can't heal from it because she's turning that pain inward and blaming herself for it so this religion and the way they practice it gives them no way to move forward or no way to make something positive out of pain or to grow stronger you know it's only comes back to punishment and turning it against yourself which is really sad
2: yeah And, like, I'm not trying to insult anyone, especially our listeners, but anyone who is considers them religious or has any belief, because, hey, personally, I I mean, I'm not religious at all either. Um, I walked away from Catholicism for a lot of reasons some of them similar to y'all, specifically you, Heather, in this regard. But I still have like a personal spirituality. I still believe in the concept of a God, but that's the difference between religion and religion being used in such problematic ways and using faith as a thing of hope it's a bastardization of faith being hope and being strength of any kind Um, and given the time period I mean Puritan 1600s like that was like the height of it the Salem witch trial specifically was kind of born out of all of this I don't know I'm not trying we're not trying to malign people that might still consider them religious but like in the context of this movie and the commentary it's making on religion we need to discuss these things
0: sure absolutely I can say from my experience part of the reason why I I relate to this movie and Thomas's character specifically is because leaving the religion I grew up in and choosing a path for myself led to so much greater happiness and mental health for me because I no longer was looking at myself as failing this invisible standard all the yeah. time and so that was a really healthy choice for me and it was the right choice for me but of course I would never say that's the right choice for everybody I know plenty of people who are still religious or still Christian who don't have the same relationship to religion as I did and don't have the same kind of traumas that I had from it. And, you know, I certainly don't look down on anybody who still believes or think that Yeah, I don't even think that if you believe in Christianity, you know, you're wrong and I'm right. You know, I made the choice that was good for me, and I can talk about this movie in the way that I relate to it. But if you relate to it in another way, that's not wrong. My way isn't better. If you are a person of faith, you could understand this movie in a way that, you know, this is what happens when the message of the gospel or Christ's forgiveness is distorted and used, you know, in a weaponizing way against each other. The means of control. Yeah, yeah.
2: And and the thing here... For us, because, like, I I also have a lot of friends who are atheists, agnostic, and I have a couple friends that are still religious. And the thing is, the key difference is respect and not letting those religious beliefs get in the way of, like, their relationship with you and, and each other. Yeah, And that's what's going on here in The Witch. One of the fears specifically geared towards religion and the family is there's really no respect for each other. Like at all. And honestly, I don't even know if there's love between some of the members of the family. Like, I, I think the mom and if she does, I may have missed it, but she never to me shows any affection towards Thomason throughout this entire movie.
0: There's one scene where she shows affection and I think this is sort of indicative of even if you want to look at this film from a Christian perspective, this is a family where their view of Christianity is focused entirely on punishment and wrath from God rather than grace and forgiveness which are the good sides of Christianity that you could be focusing on. And so the parents who are teaching this sort of warped view of God that's only about God's wrath and not about mercy is kind of played out in their relationship with the children. And it's this really abusive form of love that they are giving the children. You see this a lot in abusive relationships. You know, if abusive relationships are always bad nobody would be in them. But people stay in abusive relationships because there's some kind of scrap of good to it. Yeah. And so So, one scene in this movie that strikes me as really sad is when Thomason offers to go milk the goats one night while it's raining and the family's kind of inside, and Thomason asks if the goats have been bedded down, and the mom says no. And Thomason's like, So I'll go ahead and do it. So, Catherine, the mother, pulls thomason close and kind of cups her face holds her face gently and kisses her on the head and says thank you
2: that's right okay yeah. i do remember that scene now yeah
0: she gets that little scrap of love it's what keeps thomason on the hook like coming back and so she's enduring his abusive this abuse yeah and all this coldness yeah to hold on to that one little scrap of good
2: like i'd considered it but not like specifically with that scene too
0: yeah it's, i mean it's a classic abusive pattern and it's just so sad for thomason in that moment that relationship with her mother is it's so fractured but thomason's so wants that love and affection it's just just so sad to watch
2: yeah and looking on it at a more surface level there's no wonder why evil was able to be let in in the form of black philip and the witch and everything else that happens
1: mm-hmm. yeah you know ultimately william and caleb go off into the woods to go check the traps that were laid earlier during this task they discuss like we mentioned the inherent sinful nature of humans and how they must just Pray and hope for the best regarding the eternal fate of the baby.
2: Yeah, because the baby was uh, unbaptized. So Caleb is having yeah. all these questions like, is it in heaven He's or is it in hell? out about all of it, yeah. yeah.
1: And, you know, ultimately, like, that whole idea is something that I certainly struggled with as well. Just, you know, okay, so... On one hand, the Bible says that God gave us free will and decision-making and a choice, but then on the other hand, you're telling me that, no, none of that actually matters, and we're all doomed to the same fate unless we just try hard enough or whatever. So, like, okay, which is it? But that whole idea of predestination and all of that side of this very Calvinist, Puritanical way of thinking. We are all just fucked. And there's no getting around that. And you just have to toil and work hard enough to hope that you'll be in God's good graces. Like, that's not fun. That's abusive. That's ultimately not fulfilling. And you can't form your own wants and identity and forge a path for yourself if that's just your entire mindset. So, again, Caleb coming into his own is struggling with that idea. And also just struggling with the idea of my baby brother had literally no say in any of this, so like, why is he damned to hell? So anyway, we also learned that William got the traps that they're checking from these traders because he took Catherine's prized silver chalice. The silver chalice. Yeah, it belonged to her father. It was one of the few things that they brought from England, and it was kind of like this one last family heirloom that she holds above all things.
2: And of course it's a chalice. Like, that's Saying something here, right? Yeah, that's some uh, vagina imagery.
1: There you go. But yeah, he traded that for these traps, and he demands that Caleb not mention the silver cup until Catherine's no longer green. You know, he doesn't want to disturb her, so he makes his son be complicit in this lie and promise not to out him you know so like okay you haven't outright lied to your wife but you haven't actually told her what happened you are keeping the secret from her and now you are just roping your own kid into like being complicit in that
2: William does this weird guilt trip thing through the entire movie too like when Catherine is like going at one of the kids like he'll step in and make up a lie finally after she's like berated them and then like feel guilty about it's like this weird, almost Ned Stark going back to Game of Thrones. I have my pride, but it's just a kind of a shitty way of not owning up to your own problems and not being able to deal with like, yeah. hey, you're a human and you made mistakes. His pride isn't like that of like a king's or something. His pride is that I'm holier than thou. Until I'm not, I'm gonna justify my guilt for good intentions, but also good intentions. Pave the road to hell if you want to go that yeah. route. So.
0: William is also such a tragic character in this movie to me because you can tell he really does love the children and he does love Catherine.
2: Yes, I agree with you.
0: Yeah, but he just can't overcome his own problems and be honest about that. I think part of that is there's a little bit of toxic masculinity element to that. Like the father has to be the leader and has to be the provider and can't show any weakness and can't waver. And so he's trying to put that pressure on him so much that instead of trying to collaborate with his family and work together to solve this issue, he's putting all the pressure on him Himself, and then when he can't live up to perfection, you know, he lashes out at others out of his own like anger and self-loathing. And it's it's really sad because he loves his family. But his inability to overcome his own pride is a huge contributor, probably the main contributor to the family's downfall.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So on their way Out of the woods, they have the horse and they have the dog and they are going to check the traps. So they find nothing in the traps and they're kind of disappointed, like, okay, shit, what do we tell everybody when we get back and we don't have any food, what are we going to do? And they encounter a hare, and hare as in, like, rabbit. This is, like, one of the big, tall, brown, kind of, English hares.
2: Its eyes are fucking wild, by the way. (laughs) It's, like,
1: bulging out. Yeah, (laughs) it kind of sits there and, like, stares at them kind of hypnotically. They're struggling to get this giant smoothbore fucking flintlock rifle thing loaded and prepped and they're scrambling to get this rifle put together to try to shoot this rabbit and of course the rifle like powder burns and backfires and because it was cursed hurts william a little bit yeah exactly and the rabbit dashes off
2: so we could safely say the rabbit i know i'm kind of jumping ahead some but i mean it's pretty safe to say that rabbits a witch's familiar right sure yeah <laughs>
1: Ra- <laughs> rabbits and hares have long been associated with european witches specifically
2: if you want to go that route then like what if the witch came over from europe with the, the colonists possibly yes
1: the rabbits and hares are also kind of tied in with chinese witches as
2: well are cats then more of like an american modern take on on which familiar
1: yes i mean the role of the rabbit has kind of now been filled with cats and rabbits are very much like an old magic thing i mean they're associated with for fertility and the moon and feminine power and magic rabbits are you know in lots of cultures seen as tricksters and they can kind of magically appear and disappear which you know that's mostly just because they're literally designed to like blend into the environment that they live in this
2: might sound a little ignorant to me from a visual standpoint the way the animals act a cat seems more to me and maybe it's just because i'm so used to cat being associated with witch growing up like in the times we've grown up in but a cat just seems like it fits more to me be than a rabbit
1: to a degree i mean i think it depends on like how you're approaching the magic and all that other stuff like in whatever context
2: but i also like cats more than rabbits so i mean there's that too sure yeah (laughs) um rabbits and hares being like a fertility thing
1: is obviously just tied to the fact that rabbits you know fuck like rabbits hell yeah another kind of interesting aspect is rabbits are kind of lowest on the food chain so like they're always an animal that is being hunted and the way that they make up for that is by copiously fucking and making more rabbits right so just kind of the rabbit as a
2: symbol so you're saying they're ties the in a lot they're the doesn't matter had sex of the animal kingdom <laughs> basically
1: yeah <laughs> but witches often take the form of rabbits right you know not just that they're familiars but they like take the form and you know in other cultures you know other animals are like foxes hyenas magpies
2: yeah i've heard like of like cats a you know? jackal yeah yeah yeah. yeah, the trickster animal is very different across different societies.
1: Yeah, so just keep in mind, like, anytime that you see this cute little bunny...
2: It didn't look real cute to me. Its eyes looked fucking horrifying. It's,
0: it's, yeah. <laughs> I love rabbits, and I think rabbits are very cute, but I have to agree, that's a scary-looking rabbit. Oh, yeah, no,
2: yeah. I don't mind rabbits either. I know I said I like cats more, but that doesn't mean I hate rabbits, but that rabbit, like, there's something in its eyes. Like, they, they got the right rabbit for this movie because <laughs> it was unnerving to look at.
1: Yeah. Meanwhile... Thomason is toiling away, doing chores like fetching eggs. And of course, we have this moment where she drops one and it's, you know, got this dead embryo in it, which, you know, okay creepy. Your chickens are now laying fucked up eggs.
2: Yeah. If that wasn't an omen, I don't know what it was.
1: Yeah. Also just shoveling shit out of the goat stable. Right. And (laughs) there's a great moment where like the two fraternal twins, Jonas and Mercy, they are fucking running around the farm chasing after the big black ram that they let out of the pen. And they're chasing it around the farm, you know, singing their sing songy Black
2: Philip song. Just generally being little shits. All right, let me read some of the lyrics of the Black Philip song. If this doesn't scream Satan to you, I don't know what does. Black Philip, Black Philip, a crown grows out of his head. Black Philip, Black Philip, to Nanny Queen is wed. Jump to the fence post running in the stall. Black Philip, Black Philip, King of all. Black Philip, Black Philip, King of sky. Black Philip, Black Philip, King of sea. We are ye servants, we are ye men. Black Phillip eats the lions from the lion's den. Like, that's yeah. such a satanic, like, incantation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there's a great moment where, you know, these
1: two kids are running around being little shits, and Catherine is just yelling at Thomas, and like, why aren't you watching them? You're supposed to be taking care of them, and there's the moment where she was literally shoveling shit, and watching these kids run around like little badasses, and her just having this moment of, God damn it. You know, just like, (laughs) fuck all of this. Just miserable,
2: right? Well, it's not her fault because, like, she's trying to literally shove shit, like you said. And yeah, the two twins are being assholes and no one else is watching them. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And again, what is the mother doing? So much of the time, the parents are yelling at the kids, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do this? And, like, what are the parents doing? Sloth. Yeah. Um, The Book of Matthew specifically relates the form of the Christian devil to a goat. So that is also, like like kind of a direct oh hmm, this giant black goat with its curvy horns yeah tell me that's not like creepy as fuck
2: for Blackfield for one second I heard I think there were like two or three different rams that they had on the set to represent Blackfield there was just one ram oh it was only just one apparently
1: he was an asshole
2: that's what I read I read that like the ram that they had for a lot of scenes was a giant asshole yeah (laughs) so it's probably Satan injured Ralph
1: Einstein like (laughs) three times put him in the ER (laughs) like apparently that goat was a fucking asshole so it was
2: literally a demon
1: yeah and robert eggers has been like i don't ever want to work with goats again i don't think you can train a goat i don't think they are pleasant animals to be around (laughs) fuck this thing he just like everybody had such a terrible time with it
2: hey no wonder why uh maybe historically why they've always been associated with devils yeah
1: but he was like yeah all the other animals that we had in this movie were like the most well-trained well-behaved animals Fuck that goat. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, William and Caleb returns to the farm
2: empty-handed.
0: I mean, did the goat ever really had a chance? They cast him to play Satan, you know? He's just, yeah. he's just doing his job. Yeah, no, he's <laughs> doing
2: a great job. He should have won an award for how good he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> Best Go to the Year Award. So yeah, William and Caleb return to the farm
1: empty-handed as all this craziness is going on. Again, Catherine's yelling at everybody, specifically admonishing Thomason for not, you know, minding the twins. And uh everyone's arguing and pointing fingers as William wrestles the ram back into the pen. And
2: during that time, this is when the twins are kind of hinting that Black Philip talks to them. Which at least at this very first scene, you just—it's kind of a throwaway thing of just like, oh, it's little kids having a wild imagination and just being jerks. But still, but. Still still yeah Yeah, like the black goat that looks very much like satan is talking to the children
0: yeah i've seen this movie a bunch of times and i still can't 100 percent make up my mind whether i think the children are little baby satanists or whether they're just huge trolls like i'm not sure which one i think it is but I, i i really like watching them in this movie
2: that's a fair point in my one time i've seen this movie now start to finish I think they are seduced. I think it's a little bit of both. I think they're being mischievous but almost in that imp like demonic way of being mischievous. Yeah, and yeah. like I think Black Philip is whispering sweet nothings to them. Yeah. And it just kind of fueling the fire of them being little assholes to make like everyone else more on edge. Yeah. So totally. I, I think it's I think it's kind of a combination of both. But yes, I do think Black Philip has basically seduced these twins.
0: Yeah, he's basically turned them into like little chaos agents in the family. Yes. And
1: see, I don't know that I agree because I personally have just such a fucking thing about just lioness children being the fucking worst. Like I remember growing up and watching kid movies and anytime that there was a kid who knowingly told a lie that like fucked up somebody else's entire rhythm and groove or whatever like I'm thinking like Harriet the Spy right? Like same thing just like somebody lied, took it to an extreme and it like messed everything up. These kids to me like definitely seem to just be trolling and fucking with everybody to a point later like when they're kind of finally point blank ass they were just like oh no we didn't do anything talk to the goat what do you mean that's dumb they just kind of have this moment of like we don't know what you're talking about yeah whatever
2: there's one scene and specifically that i think it makes it more of a combination of both rather than one or the other and but i'll bring it up when we get to it okay
0: the scene of mercy whispering into black phillip's ear is like one of my favorite images from the movie this movie has a lot of (laughs) (laughs) yeah there are a lot of evocative images in this movie but that's one that sticks with me for sure yeah
1: Catherine is also angry with William for leaving the farm without notice and leaving her alone. Caleb covers for him by lying that they were going out to look for an apple tree. ...that he claimed to have seen. And again, he is, like, sticking to covering his dad's
2: ass. I feel like Caleb is, like, mommy's favorite. Was I the only one who caught that? Uh, totally. He's yeah. the golden yeah, child. Yeah, like, he's yeah. the golden yeah. child.
0: Allison is definitely the scapegoat.
2: But specifically from the mom, like, I think... Like you were saying, Heather, earlier, I think William does truly love all his children, specifically Thomason and Caleb. But I think his mom definitely picks favorites, and Caleb is at the top of that pecking order.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And to that point, Catherine buys this lie...
1: and. And she still chastises Thomason for not handling the twins and orders her to go wash her dad's dirty clothes in the creek. Which, undressing your dad is weird. Let's just go ahead and say that. He just kind of stands there and raises his arms while she goes and undoes his shirt and pulls it out of his pants and takes it off of him and everything. Like, bruh, that shirt's not hard to get out of. But undressing your father is definitely awkward. But, uh, he looked pretty ripped, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> I had that farmer's body. Apparently he lost like 30 pounds. Uh, he- He he looked like he lost weight. Just doing yoga and not eating and chopping a lot of wood. Apparently the ram weighed more than he did, which is nuts. So anyway, yeah, as William continues to chop wood, because that's the only thing he's actually capable of doing, and just adding wood to this monstrous fucking pile behind the house. Thomason is down at the creek washing the mud out of his clothes. Caleb arrives to fetch water and kind of once again eyes up his sister a little bit because you know he is getting to pubis territory and sister is definitely well into that and they're out there by themselves and Caleb is starting to have some impure thoughts and Thomason notices that he's there but she doesn't really pick up on that at all and she doesn't think anything of it and she's trying to be sweet and sisterly with him and kind of comforting and picks up on the fact that he's like you know in a foul mood and while they're kind of having this moment Mercy sneaks up on them. Pretending to be the witch of the wood. Who actually was the one that kidnapped (laughs) the baby. They kind of have this idea that a wolf kidnapped the baby. And that's like the story that they're all agreeing to. And of course, Mercy's like, I be the witch of the wood. I took the baby. Well,
2: and, and the twins are thinking Thomason had something to do with it, actually. Because Black Phillip has been telling them that. Well, they all blame Thomason. Yeah. They all blame Thomason. Like,
1: that's definitely the thing is everybody in the family, like, whether they say it outright or not. Everybody blames Thomason for the baby going missing.
0: feel bad for these little kids i think they're too young to like really be culpable for what they're doing oh a thousand a
2: thousand percent yeah they
0: grow up in this family where thomason has clearly been the scapegoat for all the problems for so long and so it's just natural to blame her and so it's not really their fault it's definitely the fault of the parents but it still just sucks yeah you feel so bad for thomason
1: yeah and this is a moment where thomason kind of fires back you know instead of just letting you know the two twins rub in this guilt and try to make her feel bad about the baby going missing she kind of fires back at this point and just says no i'm the real witch of the wood and if you don't quit and don't speak a word of this to mother and father you know i will harm you i'll kill you i'll put a curse on you if you tell anybody right like she's just innocently taunting and kind of firing back and you can tell mercy is actually taking it seriously my older sister is telling me she's a witch like oh god
2: isn't it ironic yeah don't you think
1: Mercy. Mercy. <laughs> so anyway, you know, Caleb is like, you know, Thomason, why'd you do that? God damn it. Now all she's gonna do is like fucking go on and on about how you're a witch and like this is gonna be a
2: problem and blah blah blah. And Thomason's just kind of
1: over it. Like she just so, is fucking tired of
2: it. We were saying Caleb was a golden child, but honestly he is a good kid. He's confused. I- yeah. He's very confused.
1: Realistically, they're all good kids except for the two t- <laughs> <laughs> Thomason and Caleb are both
2: perfectly good kids. They are. But like Caleb legitimately cares for Thomason even when no one else yeah. seems to. Which makes this all the more tragic.
1: And Thomason legitimately cares about
2: everybody in the family. Whether she gets their affection and love or
1: not. Like she yeah. very genuinely cares about her family and cares about having them love her back too.
0: Yeah. And the scene when... Caleb looks at Thomason's chest. So that is something that absolutely 100% happens in fundy families. It was a big story when that happened in the Duggar family, that one of the older Duggar brothers was touching the sisters inappropriately. And it was a big deal because they're not exposed to any other women. And so incest behavior ends up happening in fundamentalist families a lot. And it is horrible. On one hand, it's pointing out that this real abuse can happen when you're in these isolated situations. But on the other hand, you see that Caleb sees it, but he doesn't actually do anything. He
1: doesn't act on it. Yeah, he doesn't do anything. And he has a lot lot of shame. You almost can't
0: blame him for that. Yeah.
1: I don't think you can blame him for it, but you can certainly blame the parents. thousand percent.
0: And so you can think about how, taken to its extremes, that kind of insulated society can be a breeding ground, essentially, for issues like that. But I think Caleb, to his credit, seeing something and acting on it are two different
1: things. Yeah. And
0: he doesn't want to hurt his sister, I don't think.
1: Yeah. So... Later that night, over their meager dinner of corn mush and (laughs) one piece of shitty unleavened bread that they all break up and pass around, Catherine starts kind of really pointedly questioning Thomason about the missing cup and, have you seen my cup lately? And, do you know where it went? Did you touch it? Blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, obviously Caleb and William are just kind of sitting there with their mouths shut, not saying a damn word, and just keeping to their lie. To the point where Thomason just gets up and leaves the table and she goes out to check the bleeding goats because the goats are out there just rah, screaming and what does she find in the darkness of the goat's table but the fucking hair just still sitting there silently staring creepily <laughs> at her. With those bulgy right? eyes. Mm-hmm. So that night the kids kind of all lie awake upstairs in the garret the second floor attic kind of space right and there's this great scene where like all the kids are literally laying in their little sleeping bags around a candle and they're all kind of listening in on mom and dad right below them arguing about moving on from the tragedy of the baby to sending time thomason off to serve another family now that she's become a woman and had her period and kate is definitely like convinced again that thomason is kind of the root of a lot of these problems and just wants to like get rid of her again just some of the complications of like now being outsiders from this larger community and how do we still try to exist within that like who's going to take our shitty crops we have to go still have some kind of communication with this group um and again just their fears over Food, you know, what are they going to do? Their crops are failing, they haven't caught anything. Are they going to make it through the winter? The kids are listening in on all of this parental anxiety. There's that great moment where Catherine, like, literally just stops. And kind of looks, you know, up at the roof and just says, you know, "Hey, kids, are y'all asleep? Are y'all?" And they don't say anything, right? But they're all just still up there eavesdropping, and that's definitely something that, like, all kids do, growing yeah, growing up, yeah. right? Every kid has like done something similar to that.
0: Also, reminders as we get to parents' age, yeah. <laughs> you know, if any of us ever have kids, our be, kids are gonna be, be, be where your kids
1: are gonna be <laughs> creeping, yeah. So, in the very early dark of the morning. Thomason wakes up and goes outside and catches Caleb saddling up the horse. And he's of the mind that like, okay, I'm going to go out in the woods. I'm going to find food. I'm going to check the traps and come back so we have food so that father doesn't have to take us into town and get rid of you and, you know, do all this other stuff. Like, I'm going to do the work to, like, save our family. And Thomason's like, cool, I'll let you go, but I'm coming with you. And Caleb initially is just like, no, you can't come. And she's like, I'm going to fucking come along with you or I'm going to go wake up mom and dad right now. Right? So she pressures them into going. While they're out in the woods, she is riding the horse. And Caleb is leading the horse, carrying the giant fucking rifle. They're out there with the dog as well. They kind of have this moment where they reminisce about before they left the settlement and how fun the family used used to yeah, be. Yeah,
2: sounds like things and so were get better. get impression
1: that like things, yeah, things were fine when they were still in the settlement um, and they once had a decent family life, right? But immediately once the realization sets in around, yeah, but that's not where we are now, both of them kind of somber up, right? So again, they encounter the hare in the woods again and the hare immediately spooks the fucking horse because the hare is creepy as shit and it causes the dog to like bolt off and chase after the rabbit deep into the woods. And of course, Caleb is like well shit I gotta go after the dog and go after the rabbit and I gotta get the rabbit and so he runs off deep into the woods and the horse still freaking out chucks Thomason and knocks her out like we just have like a cut to black immediately as she is thrown to the ground Then we cut back to Catherine and William yelling their names and searching the edges of the farm and the woods for the kids and evening is coming on. It's getting dark. I love the detail of literally they just like tied the fucking twins to the fence with bells and they're just like screaming like, let us go. Well deserved. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's like maybe the most humorous part in the movie is just seeing these two little shits like literally tied
2: with bells to the fence so they can't get off and go anywhere.
0: And by most you mean only. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Y'all know how there are some kids that are just adorable Moppets. And then there are some kids again that are just little imps that are agents of chaos and destruction. That's, <laughs> these, That's these, kids, these kids, certainly. They might look like Moppets, but no. Yeah. But um
0: it's the devil's fault. Yeah. So maybe not their fault. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But yeah, while they're kind of on the edges of the woods, Thomasin hears their, you know, yelling their names and she kind of ends up finding William caleb is lost deep in the fucking woods and he is going like into the deep thicket of the woods it's getting dark he's getting lost he's getting turned around don't
2: go down that road yeah
1: he ends up finding the dying body of the dog who is eviscerated
2: great love that trope kill the innocent pets love you horror movies yeah Yeah. fuck off (laughs) i hate that trope so much and horror movies do it so much it's maybe even
1: implied that the witch rabbit did it yeah because the dog is chasing after the the rabbit and you just hear this like rustling in the bushes and then like and then you know eviscerated gutted dog caleb sees the hare and chases it into this clearing and there is the witch's hovel and this is like a lean-to mossy built into like the body of a dead tree and kind of in the crook of like these rocks kind of hovel it's
2: what you would suspect an evil satanic witch would live in
1: yeah right as he's just kind of trying to like make sense of what is this in the middle of the woods the door kind of creaks open and slowly seductively this beautiful young woman in a red cloak walks out breasts out lips you know all red wearing a red cloak hair falling out very much the like seductress version of the witch and this young boy is very like even 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 he just kind of starstruck a
2: good 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 girl yeah <laughs> see this um, is what's
0: wrong with me and why i would also be taken in by the witch because you guys were describing it like oh yeah it's a hovel it's where this satanist witch would live and i'm like oh it's like a cute little earthy like charming
2: <laughs> it's a hobbit that's... hole yeah exactly yeah <laughs> if I a pretest. hobbit hole was in hell i guess <laughs> no I, I i understand you
1: but yeah this beautiful woman kind of draws him near and he's terrified but he gives into it and she kind of leans over and kisses him but then you see this decrepit old creepy hand jump scare out of nowhere in the frame reach up and just grab him by the back of the head and like you kind of see the kiss turn into like this
2: bite and then it cuts to black doesn't matter had sex question mark <laughs> question mark like no I'm sorry that was that was raunchy of me but uh I'm, I'm just trying to lighten <laughs> things up a little bit because none of this is fun and comedic yeah. yeah uh that jump scare was pretty creepy that wasn't the one that really got me but that was a good one that one yeah that one took me a little bit by surprise the hand transformation was a very nice touch yeah the
1: uh actress that plays the like beautiful witch is a model she's a victorious secret done all kinds of other stuff model I thought Edgar's idea of this was interesting of just you know we could cast any pretty girl to be the witch but I want her to like be seductive and move in a certain way and have control over her body and her presence he had done lots of work on modeling shoots like decorating sets and clothing and that kind of stuff he was just talking about how like working with models like they just show up And they just kind of work it, and they do their thing, and it's just, where am I at? What clothes am I wearing? But then they just kind of do their thing,
2: right? They don't have to be told what to do, necessarily. I mean, and this is purely a physical performance. Exactly.
1: And that's what he wanted out of it, and just kind of, he hired her specifically This model
2: fucking crushes it in this small scene. Yeah,
1: she could just show up, and he didn't have to, like, walk her through everything and just kind of say, like, okay, you're a seductive witch, be a seductive
2: witch. And that was kind of that. And, like, does it really fucking well yeah it's a great physical performance for the very brief moment it happens
1: the creepy old lady hand is literally an old lady hand it's just an older actress literally hiding behind the pretty young version of the witch and she like moves her hand up into frame like it's just a very basic hide under the cloak kind of trick and they didn't want to go through all the extra trouble to like use makeup and prosthetics to make up one of this girl's arms they just get this older lady with an already wrinkly hand and just put her in so it was like a fun little piece of movie trickery but it's very effective in that scene it's one of the better scares in the movie for sure so while Catherine is chastising Thomason for going into the woods with Caleb and of course bringing up all these other past accusations in the process, right? William finally, reluctantly confesses that he sold Catherine's cup, and that's where the cup has been. Like, once Catherine brings up, like, and you took my cup, and blah, 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 he finally confesses, like, no, that was me.
2: Hey, uh, cool parenting there, bud. You let both your kids get yeah, tested. let your daughter, yeah. like,
1: take the blame for it forever, yeah. William vows that he's gonna, like, venture out into the rainy night until he finds Caleb, you know, so this is the point where he's just like, okay, I gotta make this right so he's putting on all of his gear to like go out into the rain and find him meanwhile thomason goes to check on the goats again in the rain and on her way back she's the one that actually finds caleb stumbling naked and delirious near the house
2: what a creepy scene too like him just appearing yeah think about whatever the witch did to him like she definitely hexed him and did something like that but like what did she do to him otherwise yeah it's never made clear he has a bite mark on his fucking cheek yeah like cheek. very fucking creepy instance
1: yeah so the next morning thomason is milking the goats and the twins kind of tease her that black philip told them she cursed caleb you know and they kind of threatened to tell the parents that thomason's a witch in that moment the goat squirts blood into the bucket and of course the twins see this and just kind of take it more as a like she is the witch kind of sign. <laughs> as Sonic the Hedgehog would say, that's no good. <laughs> yeah. Other interesting moment where they're treating Caleb, Catherine and Thomas and R, and put this herb mixture on a bandage and wrap it around him and then they put his head up to a pan and cut his temple and like blood let into this pan you know to like release the tension release the the evil whatever
0: Mm, prairie medicine (laughs)
1: So it's interesting that despite all this witchcraft paranoia Catherine's essentially practicing like white witchcraft folk magic
2: medicine Prairie medicine like you you said Heather We're just missing a lemon and honey for a sore throat (laughs) Yeah
1: But there's just no self-awareness on her part that oh yeah I'm doing all this and all this is fine and okay because we're gonna cure the evils of our son with this herb rub and literally bloodletting from his temple but that's not witchcraft dot dot dot
3: i
0: mean both catherine and the witch's actions involved the blood of these little babies
1: yeah so that was kind of an interesting thing unnoted as well so yeah william tells catherine that he plans to journey back to the settlement and he's going to bring what corn they have to trade and he's going to find another nobody family want that nasty corn. nobody wants that nasty ass corn
2: oh yeah catherine's like losing her mind at this point accusing yeah. him of like the corn's not gonna fucking trade for anything and yeah
1: I love that the corn is trash The corn is trash <sighs>
2: she does channel quite a bit of the character from game of thrones and like in her mania yeah this scene too
1: they're like up in the little attic room as she's tending to caleb and she's just like not leaving his side obsessing over him again you know william says that he's gonna go to town he's gonna bring thomason and like basically find a family to sell her to and then find a doctor to actually inspect caleb and figure out what's going on because he's completely comatose and catherine at this point is just finally saying there is something going on there is witchcraft here there is something weird happening she also kind of has this moment where she breaks down and finally just confesses that I fucking hate it here I wish we never left England why are we here like everything that's going on like you know she is just on the brink of a crisis of faith because of the weight of everything like she literally says I don't know that I can ever love again I don't know that I can ever like have the same level of faith and belief because of the hardships that I'm going through so she's really, really starting to break down. So, at this point, the family is kind of all toiling together, gathering up all this shitty corn to bring to the settlement for Trey. They're all outside working on the corn, and then they just hear this fucking gut-curdling scream, and it's
2: Caleb, and they all rush inside, and rush upstairs. This is just a kind of a weird aside, but, like, it's not even necessarily a horror trope, because it's it's another genre of stuff, but a trope, especially in horror, that creeps me the fuck out is when there's like dead silence and then you just hear a scream from like off screen or like behind a door or something like that always is super unsettling and effective towards me like the only part of paranormal activity that actually legitimately scared me was like the final night when everything goes down when she like gets up possessed and leaves the room and goes downstairs and there's like 10 seconds of silence and then she just fucking screams from downstairs that creeps me out and this is the same thing it's a and along those lines of just kind of silence everyday normal stuff and then a scream coming from out of nowhere. Sure. Yeah,
1: yeah. They all rush upstairs and find that Caleb has finally kind of awoken from his coma, but he is like screaming about pain in his stomach and in his bowels, and he kind of goes rigid again and gets lockjawed and they're trying to pry his mouth open.
2: It reminded me of when people like do their final transformation thing and the wailing before they like eat it. Yeah that body twitch yeah it's
1: very similar yeah and like he's locked on to the point that he's biting down so hard it's causing his teeth and gums to bleed but they pry his mouth open and he like vomits up onto the floor this small crab apple and Catherine immediately, again, this is where she's finally convinced this is the fucking work of a witch. Something is happening. And the twins immediately jump to, like, it's Thomason, it's Thomason. She's the fucking witch, it's Thomason. She's been doing all this.
2: Well, and the significance of the apple, too, by the way, right? Well, yeah, he exactly. lot, made that white lie of saying, I went out into the forest to find an apple tree.
1: Yeah. And Catherine immediately sides with the twins because she's already paranoid and convinced that Thomason is, like, the root of a lot of these problems. And she believes that there's witchcraft happening. So, of course, with the twins, all kind of connect the dots yeah she believes the twins william's still a little bit skeptical and twins start acting weird you know there's a point where they all start trying to pray over caleb and the twins are like being fidgety and you know saying that they can't remember their prayers anymore
2: because they're bewitched so yeah all this stuff with the twins saying they're bewitched and it could just be like heightened mania and like collective mania and like feeding into these small children overreacting and and doing this this is the part where i do kind of think they were pushed and influenced by like black philip is them just being unable to like say their prayers and then them like being unresponsive from here on out then even like falling to the floor and thrashing about all of this is what makes me think that the twins were in fact bewitched for lack of better terms sure yeah
3: yeah
0: and i I I think you have a good point there because everything they do literally puts fuel on the fire. It's like, okay, what is the worst thing the kids could do at this moment to make things worse for Thomason and worse for the family? And then they yep. do that, yeah. you know? <laughs> I don't think most kids would just do that on their own. I'm starting to yeah. agree with you. I and think they just maybe, keep bringing you know, up
2: that Black Phillip told them this about Thomas and Black Phillip told them that. Yeah. Like, yeah, like you said, Heather, it's perfect. No matter how clever small children are, I don't think they'd go this far.
0: Yeah. And they might not even be conscious to the extent of which they have been, you know, ensnared by Black Philip, But I definitely think he has taken root with those kids yeah. for sure.
1: So, yeah, the twins are like specifically fucking rolling on the floor and screaming and crying and kind of mocking Caleb's pain and screams. And this is like one of the
2: most kind of amazing kid
1: acting bits that I've oh my seen God, in a long time. Oh my God, this kid...
2: Fucking acts the hell out of the scene and does such a good job. He has this
1: moment of divine clarity and ecstasy where he is crying out, I can see the arms of God.
3: Cast the light of countenance upon me. Spread over me the lap of thy love. Wash me in the ever flowing pendants of thy blood. Holy thine I am, my sweet Lord Jesus. My Lord, my love. Kiss me with the kisses of thy mouth how lovely art thou thy embrace my lord <laughs> my lord my love my soul salvation take me to thy lap <laughs> ah. 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 Ah.
1: He has this moment of just complete and utter joy, and then
2: he slowly slumps down and kind of goes limp and stops breathing. It's like a passionate proclamation for his love for God and yeah. Christ and everything. Well, and before that, he even is saying like one more when he's just like screaming and having pain of like the problems with his bowels and stuff. He says, "Or the hair, the raven, she has me. She has me. Like, she has me. Saying she a lot has of that me. Too. Like
1: she's doing this to me. She's twisting my guts and all this."
2: But, like, the way that you could take that is like, and this is one of those small things that if you're not paying attention, you don't catch. They will glance at Thomason as he's saying this. Yeah. Like, she has me. She has me. So you can tell that even the dad is starting to believe she's the witch here. Yeah. Or she's hexed or cursed or whatever. But, yeah, like, he says the raven, the hare, the man wields the axe or something like that with an axe. And I think he says one other animal. I couldn't remember. But, like, some weird cryptic bullshit that makes a point. Like, the hair is obvious, but then, like, we'll find out later on, like, what the raven means like the man with the axe and another thing too with the way this kid is doing this whole like monologue proclamation of christ like as he's dying it's done in this weird way of you could interpret it as he is legitimately like entering heaven as we speak or he's delirious or it's devil fucking with them, basically. Yeah. Because <laughs> like the mom even says pretty soon after this, the devil can turn the word of Christ against you and the word of scripture against you when like she thinks that like her children are in hell, like Caleb and, and the baby Samuel. But like it's kind of a- left up in the air. Like, is this all just hallucination? Is this the devil or is he legitimately like going before Christ? Yeah. I
0: hope he gets to go to heaven, that poor baby.
2: Well, that's another one of the important things about this scene specifically
1: is especially after Caleb's whole questioning of predestination and sinful nature and all this, the fact that in front of the entire family, he has this very clear ecstatic plunge into the arms of Christ as he's dying. That's kind of the first big nail in the coffin of William's dogma and the fact that like the whole self loathing and toil turns out was not the key to entering heaven and that this child had this vision of God with open arms welcoming him into heaven. Not a oh you're a sinner and we need to like judge you and weigh out all this bullshit. No it was a very like joyful open arms welcome to the kingdom of heaven young son
2: and so that's kind of the first oh so maybe dad's wrong about some things. Well and and that's what I my interpretation is that actually is genuine like that is actually him genuinely entering heaven and all that because while it does sound kind of weird and like really haunting it's also like you're saying like it's very welcoming like he's just pure bliss and joy and just something that kind of has always fascinated me from a historical standpoint again I think this is far more people bastardizing the word of God or the teachings of Christ for their own gain and their own like selfish nature everyone seems to fucking forget that who did Jesus hang out with and was like the most respectful towards sinners yeah whores the people that across
1: the board all the people that like are shit on by the self-righteous
2: society yeah yeah, exactly that's what blows my fucking mind to this day now in modern times people using religion as this thing of control and like separating people from other groups of people is like it's in the bible literally in the scripture like he's hanging out with the lepers and and the prostitutes and sinners who the fuck do you think he has respect for you or like the fucking mega million church pastor yeah no fuck that guy like I'd like to imagine Christ would kick him in the nuts yeah exactly
0: you know this is a, a movie where you know it's something we talked about at the beginning the witch absolutely exists the witch is real so this is a movie where there is a devil there are witches there is the supernatural side and so what's to say in the realm of this movie you can just take it if the devil and evil and witches exist then who's to say that Christ and God and Jesus are real in the realm of this movie yeah and that is like a really hopeful note you know I hadn't ever thought about that scene in a way to like take it literally and like hope that that was a real experience for Caleb but I like that interpretation because it does give a little bit of hope to the movie and you know a little bit of idea of forgiveness and redemption for this sweet kid and so I really like thinking about that as a as a real scene
2: Us talking through this really recontextualizes a scene that's about to come up that I will bring up to y'all and see what you think. So, Thomason
1: runs out of the house... And she kind of runs to the comfort of this tree on the edge of their property. And William kind of runs after her. And, you know, they kind of had this brief moment of like, yeah, you remember like, you know, how pretty this tree was when we first moved here. And, you know, it it hadn't really been pretty since then. and But it's still a pretty tree. It's going to be our special tree. You know, I was going to put like a whole field of wheat right here as well. And then we were going to have a full barn and we were going to do this and do that. So be real with me. Are you a witch or not? And all of that, like, ha sweet moment turns into, like, accusations and her innocence being questioned and him basically just saying, like, you know, I love you, you're my daughter, but we're gonna have to like bring you back to town and put you on fucking trial if you don't tell me the truth and tell me what's going on here
2: yeah he turns he turns what could have been like an endearing like great comforting father scene into like this kind of manipulative like now tell me the truth yeah what
0: um, i want to know is why have you been chopping all that wood when you're saying well i was gonna plant this wheat field The yeah
1: i was gonna do that yeah
0: <laughs> maybe if you would have bothered farming like you're <laughs> family wouldn't be starving. Yeah we had all these great plans
1: but all I can fucking do is chop wood while all of y'all like toil around with all this other bullshit. That's the only thing I can do and that's what she finally calls him out about is you fucking lied to mom. You did this. You kept this a secret and you know she blamed me for all of it while you just fucking stood there and let me take it. You know all this bullshit about witchcraft is just the twins being obsessed with the goat and they're fucking lying and you're gonna take the word of two tiny children with delusions over like like, the word of me, your daughter, saying, like, no, I am not the cause of any of
2: this. Uh, of course, William, like, gets pissed at all this because she's, like, basically throwing all the shit. Well, yeah,
1: because his extreme doctrine is, like, really ultimately the only thing that gives him anything any sense of power and authority over this family and he's fucking
2: terrible at everything that he tries to do exactly and like trying to run a farm when all he really does is good at, again chopping wood but then like he also like his mix of like anger and retaliation towards Thomas and calling him out on his bullshit he also kind of like warps her saying the twins what the twins are doing because she's trying to say the twins are just being little shits Yeah, he kind of seems to interpret it as the devil is in the twins now Yeah, and no dude you're just you're missing the entire fucking point (laughs) yeah but she does call him
1: out though everything he's trying to do is a fucking failure and to cover for that shame he kind of forces the rest of the family to like Toil endlessly and compensate for all of his failings and kind of pushing them through all this through shame and through like this religious guilt, you know, because that's the one thing he has control over. He can be pious and self righteous and force that guilt on the rest of the family as a means to control everybody. And it's just a way of compensating for the fact that he's a fucking failure at everything he tries to do. So, Yeah, William drags her inside so that, you know, she can essentially confess the same thing to Catherine. And the twins are now like lying on the bed, feigning coma like Caleb was. That's kind of immediately broken when (laughs) William walks over and is just like, fuck it. These kids want to act like little devils. If the devil's really inside of them, then, you know, what's to keep me from doing like Isaac and dashing this kid's head upon the rock? And he like picks Jonas up off the bed by like the scruff of his neck and is fucking shaking this kid and yelling at him and of course they immediately snap out of their like game and they start screaming and mercy also jumps up and is hitting his arm and, and everything. Catherine's like
2: please don't do it yeah, yeah like, but this is immediately yeah. where
1: thomason's like fucking see they are just playing around they're just lying this is all bullshit this was all a jest and william just doesn't want to hear it and he basically just throws all All three of the fucking kids in the goat pen for the night and boards them up in it and just says, I will fucking deal with y'all in the morning. We'll find out the truth then. But in the meantime, y'all are all going in here and getting the fuck out of the way.
2: Well, and at at some point, the twins, I think you might have mentioned this earlier. I can't remember. But at some point, the twins even like tell them about the milking the goat and the blood coming out and all that stuff like about Thomason. so, again, going back to like William is now kind of believing that there's something wrong with Thomason. Yeah instead of just punishing the twins for being little assholes he's punishing everyone doing it in a very puritan way i guess of like yeah. fucking literally boarding them up in the barn. if the guilty party doesn't come forward
1: everybody's punished
0: yeah, and then the scene after he's boarded them up, and you see him praying outside of the little goat barn. That scene is so frustrating and again so revealing of William's major flaw, which is pride. And it's so funny, you know, you hear all the jokes and memes about people offering just thoughts and prayers, and there's what William offers, you know. He's Oh my
2: god. Yeah. Yeah. That's like such a good point, Either. I didn't think about that. His <laughs> thoughts and prayers like the scene. Yeah, he
0: prays for his family, you know, not to be damned. And he prays that God will save them instead of literally doing anything that he could to like yeah. actually help his family, such as going back to the village to try and get them some food, or like talking to his children and trying to understand what's going on and counseling them or bringing them together. So again, he's making this confession, but it's so hollow because he's not actually doing anything about it. Well and a
2: part of it too is I think in his weird way he's thinking like oh because I do feel guilty about this this is justified it makes me feel bad therefore it's justifiable.
1: I can say what my problem is. I know that pride is my downfall and my pride is the reason why my family is suffering and please forgive me and please give me guidance. Not actually gonna do anything about it but I'm at least gonna like speak it aloud and like thoughts and prayers like Heather said.
2: It's the abuse mentality the abuser mentality like you had mentioned earlier Heather and it's again going back This it's sort of the same thing as like someone with mental illness who knows they have mental illness but takes absolutely no responsibility for their own mental illness.
0: Yeah exactly and I've always loved that saying pray to God but row your boat to shore. Yeah. It's fine if you want yeah. to pray like cool ask God something. for help but God gave you that boat and that oar so you might as well row while you do it you know yeah. <laughs> like you've got to put the work in you can't just expect something to like pop out of nowhere and save you like you have to do the work you're here on earth we have got to make it happen and he just refuses to actually do anything except chocolate
1: yeah william and catherine also bury caleb by the lone tree that's on the farm catherine actually climbs into the grave cradling the body and glaring at william accusatorily as well there's also this movie brief moment of clarity when thomason and the twins are locked up in the goat bar and thomason just point blank asks them like have y'all actually been talking to the goat has the devil actually been talking to y'all and they're just like huh what are you talking about we don't know anything about that that's crazy are you actually a witch no i'm not a fucking witch huh and they just kind of all sit there staring at each other while fucking black philip is just like <sighs> Just breathing heavy as fuck. And that's that's why I kinda come down. I'll maybe give it to y'all's argument about like maybe Black Phillip is like stoking these innocent kids like imaginations and causing them to throw fuel on the fire. But the kids are still at the end of the day like, wait, I don't know. We don't believe any of that. That's all bullshit. No, we were just making that up. There's still that moment of just like, what are you talking about? God damn it, like so frustrated. Like these kids don't actually believe any of this bullshit, and they were just talking out their asses the whole time. Just admit to something, you little yeah. shit. <laughs> (laughs) Later that night, Catherine wakes up and the room is lit by candlelight and she kind of has this very interesting vision where all of a sudden she sees Caleb alive, sitting wrapped in a blanket, holding the baby in the corner of the room by the fire. And you also notice in the background that the silver cup is sitting on the mantle where, you know, it supposedly was. And kind of overjoyed, she, you know, goes over to them and takes the baby in her arms. And Caleb says, you know, yes, we'll visit you often. You know, we'll come back all the time, you know, for you, mother. Just, I have this book with me. Why don't you take a look at this book with me? And they keep talking about, too, like, Black Philip, the devil, he has this book. You signed your name to the book. The devil's book, right? And so, of course, this ghostly vision of Caleb shows up and is like take a look at this book mother well
2: that's a very much like a folklore esque thing of signing the black book as part of the witch's communion with Satan in the woods even most recently uh, at least in the comic I don't know if it was in the show Sabrina but in Sabrina the Teenage Witch they do that yeah
1: and Catherine kind of agrees like yes yes I'll do whatever you say just your baby brother needs to feed he's hungry and she starts to breastfeed the baby
2: mind you this whole scene is creepy oh yeah all of it's so this is like this is the thing kind of going back to like recontextualizing caleb and at his death scene like after us like talking through it a part of me was at first wondering like is this the witch and satan fucking with them and i went back and forth between that and like or is this caleb and samuel literally them like as ghosts from heaven even if you want to say like and the book instead of like it's hinted that it's the book that the devil uses or is it biblical in nature and and all that like straight up yeah this is the witch this is evil this is the witch so this is what I agree I went back now to this is the witch or Satan or whoever fucking with them because Caleb and even Samuel if they did leave this mortal plane for like heaven I don't think they would be coming back to (laughs) because that's a different in this movie between good and evil. Evil is very much literally, physically even represented and is actually doing stuff to this family, whereas the quote unquote good in heaven or whatever is all just in passing. It's just talking. It none of it is like actually intervening in their lives quite like evil is. Yeah. So I took this as evil fucking with them.
0: This is also the scariest scene in the movie to me for sure. This oh. is Thousand percent.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And while this is happening, you cut back to the kids in the goat pen, and the twins kind of wake up because they hear some sounds, and then something heavy crashes onto the roof of the goat pen. And then kind of scampers down the side of the wall and around the front and you just kind of see like a figure moving and all these noises and the twins reacting to it. And then they inch closer and they see this old naked woman slurping like you hear a slurping slurping noise from the tit of the milk goat. And as they get closer, she like turns around and full fucking shining style is just like Rah, ha, ha, screaming at him. And the kids scream and Thomason wakes up screaming. Then it just hard fucking cuts to Catherine inside the house. Also maniacally fucking laughing, sitting on the stool by the fire with a huge fucking raven just pecking away at her breast as she's like maniacally laughing and just in ecstasy, cut to black again.
2: This whole scene, that jump scare of the witch turning around and then hard cut, like you said, to like a raven pecking at yeah, her like that. That's the
1: scariest moment of the movie to me, like this whole sequence.
2: Fucking terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. That witch jump scare is fucking terrifying um like one of the scariest things i have seen out of all the movies we've covered on this podcast um and apparently
1: this is kind of a recurring nightmare that robert eggers has had his whole life of just like seeing jesus christ really (laughs) yeah like kind of seeing like an old woman off in the distance and getting closer and her turning around right as he wakes up like that's just kind of always been this recurring nightmare that he's had
2: well that's a common thing With sleep paralysis and nightmares, and like the historically, like the idea of being cursed or hexed, uh, is you have I think it's also even with like Dybbuk boxes and Jewish folklore when you're cursed like that, you have visions and dreams of an old hag basically terrorizing you. Oh man, that's so creepy! And just to see it actually happen on screen was. It's pretty great. It was terrifying. Yeah, yeah, it's a good scare. Like, got me pretty good. So,
1: the next morning, William wakes up and gets out of bed, and we see Catherine beside him also kind of blinking awake and she's bleeding through her shirt. But he gets up and kind of stumbles outside and discovers that the goat stable has been fucking torn to pieces. It's just busted apart. Corpses of these goats are just strewn everywhere, slaughtered. The twins are missing, and Thomas is just lying there completely unconscious with blood all over her. Well, those twins are in the stomach of the witch yeah. now.
0: <laughs> yeah, missing never to be seen again. Goodbye, twins.
1: Yeah. Just as Thomason comes to and William is kind of making his way toward her, all of a sudden, wham, he is gored by the fucking ram in the stomach. And as he's like stumbling, bleeding, holding his gut from this huge fucking horn puncture, cursing the goat, the goat butts him again into this
2: huge fucking pile of wood. Yeah, he like picks up the axe. Picks up an axe and like is at first ready to fight the goat. He kind of just but gives then he in. He kind of yeah. just says, bucket and like accepts the fate and throws it down and he says the corruption of man yeah or something like that and it's just something really weird and cryptic and then the goat yeah like you said headbutts he nails him nails into more the time. pile
1: of wood and the fucking wood that he's been stacking up this entire goddamn movie all crashes avalanche on follows on mm-hmm. top of him and kills him so like literally his fucking pride is the thing that takes him out
2: I think in that line the corruption of man is him like realizing that black Philip is Satan right because Satan is the corruption of man if you want to look at it from this yeah. biblical standpoint
1: yeah like he might be finally seeing like yeah the goat is kind of the instigator of some of this Thomason
2: gets up and goes to check on her father and she's like weeping like she yeah despite everything that's happened like her father was just killed yeah. by a goat but still yeah. hats
0: off to Anya Taylor-Joy too for being so young like she is killing these ending sequences in the movie because this is really requiring a lot of yeah And she's just knocking it out.
2: Yeah. I know Aaron said it about Caleb's actor in that scene where he dies. But honestly, like, this is some of the best child acting across the age ranges of any movie I've ever seen. Yeah.
1: But yeah, as Thomason edges close to her father to check on him, there's kind of this quiet, no sound in the mix kind of moment. But then immediately, Catherine screeches over to her and yanks her by the fucking hair and is just throwing all the fucking blame for the family. Misfortunes at her and accusing her of disappearing the baby and disappearing the twins and bewitching all the men with lustfulness. One of her lines, Heather and I constantly joke about is, you know, she was just like, "You proud slut." So yeah, we we throw that one around
2: quite often, <laughs> just yelling yeah. at each yeah. other. <laughs> um, <laughs> D- honey, did you get the coffee ready? Not yet. You proud slut. Yeah, Catherine
1: is like wildly attacking Thomason. Throws her to the fucking ground and is on top of her choking her out and Thomason like again it's so fucking sad because all she's doing is saying mom stop I love you I love you please stop I love you and her mother is just fucking raging literally trying to murder her and Thomason reaches over and grabs the only thing that's you know within reach which is a bill hook which is this kind of wicked wooden handled big curved blade that they use to like shuck corn with and she like whacks her in the face with that and there's this kind of stunned moment where Catherine's bleeding from the face all over her because she's like leaning over Thomason and covering her in blood. She goes full rage and is choking her out again and Thomason finally is like alright I gotta quit and she just stabs stab stabs her. Catherine's body slumps over on top of her as she's crying and weeping and screaming. Eventually you know all the crying stops and she just kind of sits there still and there's like this one really widely framed shot where the two of them are just laying on the ground on top of each other, quiet and Thomason eventually like pushes Catherine's body off and gets up and is completely fucking in shock and she stumbles into the house and kind of takes off her bloody clothes undoes her super uptight corseted layers and layers bullshit clothes and just gets down to like her nightgown. Puritan's Stuff. and she yeah. just sits down at the table and fucking to sleep you know she does that thing that we joked about on the show that if you did something super traumatic like that what does your irrational traumatized shock brain do you just want to like curl up in a ball and fucking go to sleep and hope it goes away
2: oh uh, yeah yeah like you're in such shock like that's all your body can do it's yeah big
0: teenage son from hereditary energy
2: same thing yeah <laughs> totally so she awakens at night
1: it's like daytime when all this happens and then when she wakes back up it's like totally middle of the night and she kind of wakes up to the sound of chimes and bells and she kind of follows that sound out to the goat stable once she's out there she realizes my family's dead what the fuck am i doing but like something has led her here and so she just looks at the only thing that's in the goat stable which is black philip
2: who murdered her dad by the way i'll just keep throwing that out there <laughs> but she just kind of speaks <laughs> at the goat and
1: says do you talk talk to me like you did to the fucking twins tell me something is any of this real what's going on and after some silence she kind of goes to leave after you know there's no answer and then all of a sudden black philip answers her
3: What dost thou want what canst thou give what's the like the taste of Butter, a pretty dress. Wouldst thou like to live deliciously? Yes. Wouldst thou like to see the world? What will you from me? Dost thou see a book before thee? Remove thy shift.
1: I cannot write my name.
3: I will.
0: We can't skip over this part without talking about the beautiful Satanist ASMR that we have going on here and like the best quote in the movie, Would you like to live deliciously? Like it's deliciously. So good. And honestly, if you have lived your whole life, or at least, you know, the last year or so of your life eating rotten corn mush and fasting. Yeah. You know, because your father can't feed you, wouldn't you wanna live deliciously? Like who wouldn't? Come yeah.
1: On. Have a nice dress. I would. Eat butter, see the world. Yeah. yeah. And a pretty cool, like, kind of weird little edge scene where the, like, hoof of this ram turns and becomes this tall boot and the ram kind of transforms into a man yeah
2: yeah like a black clad man which historically associated with satan materializing also
1: yeah and you can barely barely make out this figure because he's wearing all black and it's black of night and it's just like this one candle lighting everything but you can definitely see like there is the figure of a man that is talking to her and that's behind her holding this book out for her to sign costume apparently was fucking amazing like Eggers was going on about like this was the best costume in the movie and you don't even fucking see it cause it's like all black velvet with this beaver fur hat and all these like I'm
2: sure it was metal as yeah fuck. like all these yeah. like
1: black peacock feathers and a cloak and all this other bullshit and the actor playing that guy is like the most handsome dude in the fucking world and like you don't really even see you just get like the idea of this figure of the devil
2: well and this whole shot is awesome because like when she's talking to black philip and trying to see if he will actually talk and all that like you just only see it if you are black philip like looking at her you just see her face only i love how long it pauses because it pauses just long enough for you to be like all right well fuck this i'm just talking to a goat and he starts turning Pauses
1: long enough that she goes to leave yeah exactly but yeah he asks her to like remove all your clothes sign your name in the book And then, like, bam, it just cuts to, like, Black Philip the Ram leading her into the fucking darkness of the woods. Like, leaving the farm, leaving the family behind, and just wandering out into the woods. And the deeper
2: that she gets into the woods, the chanting becomes louder and louder. And then this is the second scene where the soundtrack fucking terrifies me. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah because you're just hearing all this like tribal witch chanting which apparently is some kind of lost enakian language that they use for this chant yeah it's a
2: witch's sabbath yeah this, this is exactly what this is is a witch's sabbath if it if you would have seen it in like a more wild time
1: yeah black philip leads her to this clearing where you see all these other naked witches around a fire all chanting and dancing wildly as they all chant they begin to fucking levitate up into the air and you just have this tight close up on Thomason as she's just laughing with joy giving in to this freedom and you kind of notice that the background behind her is moving and then it kind of cuts to this final image of her naked 50 feet up in the air floating above all the trees lit by the fire and then just cut to credits and it's a fucking amazing way to end that movie like it's such a crazy like wild ass ending and when we saw this in theaters you could feel everybody in the theater being like what the fuck (laughs) and cutting to credits like completely silent credits too after all this chanting and like insanity and just the immediate uncomfortableness of the entire audience
2: just being like what did we just watch
1: Right? Like, what just happened? What did we just see? Where did this just go? And the
2: thing I love is, like, if satanic magic exists, and witches' sabbaths are like this, this is what it would look like. To an outsider perspective, like, if you're not one of the witches, this is fucking terrifying and foreign, and, like, something is not right about it. So, yeah, I get that. Well, just the audacity
1: of that ending, too, and it just being so cacophonous and over the top. Yeah. And... I was just like smiling. It's a great ear ending, ear, dude. Watching the <laughs> yeah, whole thing. Yeah, it's a
2: great ending. But then, as
1: soon as it cut to credits, I immediately started like looking around at the audience as the light was coming up, and everybody's faces just being like overwhelmed and confused, and just me like laughing my ass off. Me and Heather, were, like the two people in that audience, who genuinely were just
2: like, yeah at that ending <laughs> when it was happening, and like when it cuts to the credits. And I was by myself at the house, like watching it. I started chuckling to myself. And just went, fuck yeah. yeah. <laughs> the very yeah. I mean, I definitely didn't agree with the Puritans throughout the entire fucking movie, but I also don't know if I agree with this, but in some way I was also like happy for Thomason, yeah. kind of going back all the way to like what we were discussing in the beginning. Cause even if you wanted to like say like this is her way of coping with the trauma, and it wasn't like Black Philip like went straight to her after like all this shit happened. She sought him out. Even if he did manipulate things or whatever, whatever you wanted to say, it's still such a good escape to freedom type. Yeah type of thing.
1: It's a liberation. I mean, it's dark certainly, and it's kind of a fucked yeah. up thing, but it's still a like, hey, I found a community free to pursue my own identity for myself outside of everything else and be happy for the first time probably in years, if not ever, like be who I want to be and be free of everything.
0: If you can use the thing that was used to hurt you, if you can reclaim that for yourself, there's a lot of power in that. Yeah. And so her being able to take that on, to realize that power, that's sort of why I see it as like a hopeful and happy ending. Yeah. You know, nobody can hurt her with that anymore because she's taking it on herself.
2: Yeah. yeah. It's almost like, is Satan... A force of nature, just kind of a chaotic nature. And it's just so happened that like William specifically like got in the way. It almost like kind of what happened in the autopsy of Jane Doe, Aaron, like where this family moved out to these woods and they just kinda of got in the way. Yeah. While the rest of her family got fucked over. And that's that's the only part where I'm kinda of still like, Yeah, but kinda of fuck these witches too was like what they did to terrorize the children specifically. Not so much like William and his wife, but like what happened to the baby. The younger and, kids, sure. And, yeah. yeah. And Caleb, that's where I'm kind of like, yeah, but I also kind of am a little disturbed. Thomason is now cool with him. But at the same time, given all the trauma she probably went through through her entire upbringing and through their time out here, I'm also happy for her. And us going through this entire movie and, and having this discussion, please, Aaron, don't edit out any of the stuff I said earlier because I want the audience to see the progression of this discussion. But like, I now am less inclined to agree with the idea of trading one religion for another. It's just this one looks a little more free and wild. But because of specifically what you said, Heather, of like her claiming it as her own and taking the idea of what hurt her and using it to find this new community where she now has power. Yeah, I think that's a very good take on it.
0: Yeah, I love this movie. I wouldn't change a thing about it. We've seen it a bunch of times now. This is one that Aaron and I watch frequently. And when something is very new, I think you sort of have to hold yourself back from saying, oh you know this movie is perfect this movie is one of my favorite movies you know you have to make sure it stands the test of time but it's been five years at this point
1: you want to make sure it can stand up to multiple viewings and over time and everything else but yeah we've liked this from the first time we saw it
0: for me this is a perfect movie i wouldn't change a thing i love watching it really powerful really interesting really beautiful i love this movie
2: (laughs) well and from a horror standpoint it's fucking freaky too that whole scene again of the witch turning around and then the dream turning into the raven pecking at her that's all terrifying like that's all some of the scariest shit imagery
0: yeah I would say you know to the people who might be listening to this who haven't seen it some people do say it's slow and some people say it's boring to counter that what I would say is just like I said this movie is not gonna beat you over the head with it being scary there's not gonna necessarily be sound cues before you see a horrifying image or something like that the movie is not gonna call a lot of attention to itself so this is really a movie to put your phone down turn off the lights really give it that hour and a half, like really sit with it and try to be open to it. You know, if you go in really, you know, opening yourself up to it, going in to pay attention, you'll get a lot more out of it than if you just, you know, casually throw it on the background while you surf Facebook. Like I do that with movies sometimes too, you know, there's nothing wrong with that necessarily, but if you're really gonna enjoy this movie, you need to give it your full attention.
2: And again, it's only ninety three minute running yeah, time. Like it's short. It's a short movie. A lot shorter than I was expecting to be. I knew about Black Phillip prior to watching this movie. I also weirdly thought he was supposed to be almost a comedic effect <laughs> through the movie and like he was supposed to be like talking to them the you entire know. time.
0: He's dunky. Nope,
2: Th- sure. not at all. Right at right at the very end.
3: <laughs> What's that like
0: to eat this delicious parfait? <laughs>
2: <laughs> so peek behind the curtain. I just watched this yesterday during the day and I've had opinions and thoughts that have kind of changed and developed. Hell, I mean, as y'all could tell through this discussion, and I don't necessarily agree with this now, but the idea is still interesting to me. But one of the first things I thought after the movie is like, man, that was a fucking great movie. However, I would change one thing about it. And I again, I don't agree with that now upon further thought, but it is still an interesting idea. I thought, what if you took this movie, and you know how sometimes like you have fans that do certain cuts of movies, like they did with the prequel trilogy of Star Wars, cutting out episode 1 all and only having parts of episode 2 and 3 and making that just one movie. Something I thought of is what if you did with this movie is you basically kept it exactly the same except you cut out everything with the witch. You would still have the scene all the way up to like the peekaboo and then the baby just disappearing but you don't follow to the witch's hovel. Sure. You don't show the witch appearing to the children in the goat shed. You don't show any of the supernatural stuff. Then it
1: just becomes a movie about them eating their rotten corn and going ergo crazy exactly
2: yeah. what the final scene is she does wander into the goat stable again ask black philip those questions do you talk are you the devil who are you and it stays silent for like those five to ten seconds and then just cuts to credits and like it leaves it all up in the air is this her going fucking insane and maybe she might have also murdered everybody in the family and i mean hell you could even have the goat still gore william to like add to the idea of the mystique behind this or is this still maybe a witch or supernatural thing kind of like what happened with black daughter that's what i was about to say like, to go back to that movie and i guess spoiler alerts for people
1: who haven't seen that or listened to that episode but her going back to the furnace years later with these new offerings essentially we'll leave it at that and just kind of asking like hey you still there please talk to me i'm really fucked up i'm really alone now like i just really need you to talk to me and just nothing yeah. and just that final moment where she's fucking screaming because she's done all these like awful things for this attention and this acknowledgement by this deeper evil being whatever and then just nothing it's just delusion it's just in her head like and just realizing the weight of oops I
2: fucked up well but even that movie like still leaves it enough up in the air sure I did have that feeling of this could be like a completely different movie from the type of horror it would tackle if you removed all this blatant supernatural stuff and I'm glad they didn't I'm glad the movie is the way it is but it would be interesting to see a cut of this Movie that removes all of that. And granted, you could still like keep the dream of the raven pecking at her, but just cut out like the witch. Then the next morning, cut to like the stable being broken apart and the animals slaughtered and the twins are missing. Sure. Just
1: no explanation. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Just her on the ground. Oh, was that a witch that attacked them at night or was that Thomason being insane and fucking killing the animals and the twins and wrecking it? You could go either way in that. So that was my first knee jerk reaction. I just wanted to share that because I thought it could be an interesting cut of this movie, but otherwise, I wouldn't touch this movie I agree with you Heather it's one of the best war movies we've covered I think it deserves to be there with the triumphant of this it follows and the Babadook I think it's amazing I agree. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed this movie. This seems like the kind of thing that
1: I figured you would like based on other things that you like. Especially, again, The Shining. To go back, if I'm going to draw a direct comparison to any other movie, The Shining's the one I'm going to compare it to. Not plot-wise, certainly. It's more just like the tone, the feeling, the atmosphere, the level of dread, the types of scares. That's the movie to me that it's most similar to. And knowing that you like that movie, I kind of was hoping you would like this one, but I wasn't sure because people again whose opinions i really respect and normally like i jive with their opinions for the most part there's still people i know that are just like yeah that movie was boring i didn't understand the way that they talked
2: no so way okay. god damn it <laughs> no way this movie like was not only a good movie but also fucking creepy and outright terrifying yeah it is a horror movie it's pretty fucking horrific i mean the movie basically starts with baby murder and a naked witch woman rubbing baby juices from the murdered baby all over her body to fly in the air like it doesn't get much more horrific than that (laughs) yeah this
1: is one that like i had read reviews about when it was doing festivals and i got really hyped up for it and the previews really hyped me up And then there started to be kind of that immediate internet backlash of, this movie's overhyped, this movie's overblown, like, it's really long and boring and blah blah blah, and, you know, I don't know what other people are, like, going on about, but we went and saw it, and this movie, like, totally fucking lived up to all my hype. So, I have no regrets about being on that hype train for this, because it totally paid off, and it's still, like, easily one of my favorite horror movies. One of my favorite movies from the last decade, as well.
2: And hopefully, hopefully Dune does the same for you, if that ever comes out because of COVID. Yeah, shut up. (laughs) It'll come out eventually. Uh, I like to mock him on that because he's so fucking hype for it. (laughs) We didn't really mention this uh, at all, but the subtitle of this movie is The Witch, a New England folktale. And yeah, I would say it's a pretty folktale. When you strip it down, it really is like a dark folktale at the end of the day, a 1600s dark folktale.
0: And I mean, folktales are all about some kind of moral. And really here we see how the sin of pride is the downfall of man which is like one of those fundamental human stories
2: yeah and just like understanding a family that is literally not only like has faith in god but is just scared of god living like in solitude out in the woods and what could happen like in that kind of environment yeah
1: totally all right well cool cool Fun first entry for this year's season of Spoop, (laughs) Witchtober, (laughs) Witchstravaganza.
2: And probably the, arguably the quintessential witch film, The Witch. Yeah. (laughs) So again, we have two more lined up because October kind of fell
1: again where we could realistically maybe get three episodes out so we have plans for two more very different movies going forward um, two very tonally different thematically different it's gonna get both weird and pretty fun and nostalgic we'll leave it at that yeah obviously we will leave those a mystery for now but that's it for this episode thanks thank you to Heather my wonderful wife Heather for being on this episode with us this thanks is one that like we planned from the beginning to do with her
2: i am glad that we restructured this to have you on because there were a lot of things i didn't consider until you like brought them up so thank you
0: yeah thanks for having me i really enjoyed it i appreciate it
2: yep yep and she will be back on probably in the near future
1: soon da, da, da. so yeah we'll see what happens as time goes on who knows we might be fucking hurricane wildfire covid
2: election fallout who knows i don't know we'll see anywho
1: this is another episode
2: of watch if you dare a horror movie podcast hosted by a coward and a fanatic movie, Monster Boy. Uh, you can find us basically anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, the big ones seem to be Apple, Spotify, Podchaser, et cetera, et cetera. Podbean has all the links to that, too. Um, we are at Watch If You Dare on Facebook and Twitter. Please continue rating and reviewing us, especially on Podchaser and Apple Podcasts. We have a ton of reviews. It's fucking amazing. Mind-blowing. Yeah. Thank you all. And thanks to your little brother, Jesse Mansfield, a.k.a. Party Gator, for not only doing our normal bumps for our episodes, but also doing the season of Spoop theme Yeah, that's different. So shout out to him and thanks again. Y'all got anything else?
1: No, I think that's about it for me at least. You know, I'm just hoping we can stick to schedule since work is going to get hectic in the near future. But otherwise, Heather's just working. She's stuck at home. Mm -hmm. She ain't got nothing going on. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, I can be on the that's podcast anytime you
1: want. But yeah, that's it for this week. We got any last thoughts?
0: Watch the witch.
1: Well, yeah, watch the witch. I would hope people watch the witch if
2: we're doing this episode. <laughs> Sally, I conjure thee to speak to me. Wouldst thou like to live, mm, Sally?